Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure Run Fast on Raw Dog Product Coming Hits Channel 99 first show that we've been back in the new year so we want to be the first to say happy 2015 everybody uh we've got a brand new uh telephone number we haven't even checked this out yet it's 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ if you'd like to be so kind to call us and see if that number works apparently you can do this from any smartphone uh, and that's the, the version of the phone that's in between a smartphone and a mark phone. It's a phone that thinks it's smart, but it's still just another fucking mark. Should have a big program for us uh, here today. Uh, Chelsea, the very lovely Chelsea Pretty is stopping in later on. Also, big Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I guess has joined the SiriusXM family. What's the name of that new station? That's Sirius XM Insight. Who's all going to be on Insight? Uh, you're going to have John Fuglesang. We had John on this show before. He's a very interesting and funny man. Uh, Margaret Hoover, President Hoover's granddaughter. That shocks me. <laughs> that one I wasn't ready for. <laughs> Dr. Tyson and Pete Dominic uh, in mornings. I got an idea. This Pete Dominic kid's going to be the next big thing. Keep an eye out on him. I like him. I like what's going on with him. Seems like he's sharp. He's quick and he's one of the only guys that I know that does his own warm up he warms up the crowd and then comes out and does the show it's fucking amazing um let's go over and see on the new FaceTime app Bill Bill uh, in Boston how are you uh, I'm okay uh, I can see you Ron but I can't hear you I uh, I'm going to put Ron, up a sign to you. See, see if you can just put up three fingers. I, I've got that written on a sign. Yeah. I, oh, I see you. Yeah, there we are. All right. Oh, hey. Do, do me a favor. Just swirl it around so I can get a look at what Boston looks like today. Oh, that's frigid. That's frigid. All right. The new Hello, face. Ron? Yeah. Go ahead. Hello? Go ahead, Bill. Ron. Yeah. Are you there? All right, there's a little bit of a delay. Oh, is that the problem? Yeah, it's a little bit of a delay, so I'm going to let him go. But it's a new FaceTime phone that we have here on the Ron and Fez show. Now, we find out that this can work with pretty much any kind of phone. So give us a call at 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. We are the first... Uh, 
show in the history of radio where we're actually using FaceTime technology. Uh, and I, I was going to say with our listeners, but that's old-fashioned, Fez, with our sometimes viewers, with our phone viewers. It's a whole new world. It's the same world. We just added this one phone, but everything oh. everything else is the same. I thought it was a completely different planet. I would fucking... That would fucking black mirror my ass. Uh, heard from a good old pal of ours, Mooch Cassidy. Mooch is very excited that we're into Black Mirror, and he wants us to have Charlie Brooker, the Black Mirror guy, on the show. Did you get the Mooch uh, email? No, I did not. Well, it was sent to both of us, so it looks like you're not checking your emails. Uh, I want to... I wanna, uh, why didn't we open today with Bowie? Because I did not tell the booth to. Whose birthday is it today? David Bowie's. Uh, there's a Rick Shapiro's Comedy Club Crawl to benefit Parkinson's. It's happening Tuesday, January 13th. Is that last Tuesday? That is next Tuesday. Okay. Well, who was crawling around last Tuesday? So I've never heard of this happening before. This may be uh, a new uh, invention, um, but it's it's a comedy show that goes to different clubs uh, and gives it all the charity. Listen to this lineup: Rick Shapiro is going to be joined on stage by Artie Lang, Jim Gaffigan, Robert Kelly, Todd Berry, Rich Voss, Big J Okerson, Greer Barnes. Greer Barnes! Let me tell you something about Greer Barnes. I can't follow that guy. Mike Pichetti, Kurt Metzger, Bonnie McFarlane, Godfrey, Mike Vecchione, and the names go on and on. Uh, so Stand Up New York is going to have it. Stop 2, New York Comedy Club. Stop 3, the Village Underground. That sounds fantastic. Well, it is fantastic. It's all up uh, on the iBand. Go check it out. But this could be a very, very fun night. And uh, I think somebody might be jumping around with them. Rear bars. Let me tell you something about Rear bars. Greer Barnes. Let me tell you something about Greer. I can't follow that dude. Good luck. <laughs> you opened for true. you opened for Louis last night at the Garden. Get out of here, Greer Barnes. Did you see the uh, shirt that Louis was wearing last night at the Garden? That's right. Yeah. What did, what did, what did he write in himself? He wrote it himself. He he wrote the uh, name of the French paper that was shot up, which was Charlie Hebdo. Charlie, thank Hebdo. you. You can't read, can you? <laughs> you can't fucking read. I get confused with the French words. Charlie Hebdo. Charlie, there's nothing fucking French about I thought, Charlie. No, I thought it was like Charlie. Well, why wouldn't you said it then? <laughs> you realize how fucking funny that would have been? I'm sorry, I got to take another FaceTime call. 866 Ron Zero Fez, 866 Ron Zero Fez. Hey, you're on FaceTime with Ron and Fez. Uh, yes, uh, operator, uh, please connect me to that new radio show. I think it's Bennington 60339, please. This would have been old school. This would have been old school. Now, my dad told me this when it comes to, like, an operator. And I believe that your mom was an operator, right? Yes, she was. My um, my dad's grandmother was an operator in this little town. 
she was the only operator. There wasn't another operator. The board, what would you call that board that they had in those days? A switchboard. Switchboard, where you would actually take a plug out of one and put it in the other thing. And you would actually plug two wires together so we talk. It was located in her bedroom. What? Because if somebody made a middle-of-the-night call, she had to get up and do it. That's how few calls were done when she did this. That's just that's just insane. My mom used to be a switchboard operator. She was a switchboard operator for years until late. I have a feeling that switchboard operators was one of the number one jobs for women. And when you think of that being knocked out when it stopped existing, then all these women had to find a new you know, way to work. I mean, it must have been terrifying when it start, started going down like that. Wait, it's been panic. I mean, when's the last time you've heard, number please? Like, remember when you would fucking just call information and there mm-hmm. would be a person and you would ask them and then they would hit a thing. You would ask them and instead of them telling you, they would hit like a little taped response to tell you what the number was. But first, you would have to say to a human being. And then after that, you would have to start to hit buttons, and we used to bitch about it. And now, I don't remember the last time I've ever even tried to call information. I normally just Google that shit. I think to, hear, to actually get to a switchboard operator, you have to be like in a third world country. I think I, I, don't, I doubt there's any place in America with a switchboard operator. You're bringing zero known information to this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, he feels like he could just take third world country, throw it into this, and me and Fez are going to be like, yeah, Chris, you have zero data. None. I mean, I haven't looked into the numbers on switchboard operators. Um, I don't even know why the third world countries would have switchboard operators. I don't know <laughs> why that would go down that I'm way. I'm guessing lesser infrastructure, so they're on an older system. I don't think that the world is improved with phones. Even with the cell phone, the smartphone? No. Uh, matter of fact, just the opposite. It's made the world more annoying. I think we're doing... Here's what I'm saying. We're doing less with more. Quote that. Ronnie B quotes. Fuck yeah. Fucking slap that down. <laughs> doing you know, less. every every once in a while, I like to break up the... I don't know, Chris, why don't you fuck yourself in your own ass that people put up? And I like to put that in something fucking really heavy. We're doing less with more. What about all the apps we have? I mean, the apps seem to help us live our lives at this point. So I think we're, the phone has become something more Chris, than a phone. Yes. Do they help us live our lives, or are they living our lives for us? Whoa. Yeah, thank you. Why aren't you fucking putting that over? Did you ever once put anything in the Ronnie B Quotes? This is, by the way, the only app that I need, the Ronnie B Quotes app. And I'm always saying, like, that fucking shit was heavy. Is that for Android? Right, somebody just writes to me. See, they can't have a human being tell them, how do I find out more about that comedy club crawl? Go to theinterrobang.com. Theinterrobang.com. They'll tell you everything. I'm not doing another thing for you. I'm done with that. Um, Kirk in New Jersey. Whoops. Let me try again. Kirk. Yeah, I'm uh, from Lindenhurst. How are you? I'm good. Uh, uh, let me that? see. Yeah. All right. You look great. It's a great haircut you have. <laughs> 
Someone on Fez FaceTime phone. Oh. You had a question yeah. for us, sir? Yeah, the Klondike. When you, we used to call those old-timey operators when you said Klondike 5. Eight 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 six. What does that Klondike mean? Well, I think Fez would know this better than me because his mom was a operator. But I think it was a station itself where the operators were located, Fez, right. or at least the infrastructure. Yeah. So the reason that you hear Klondike was that a New York number? So the early TV shows had Klondike Five. Yeah, that was like relegated. That was a station in New York City. Are you even familiar with this, Chris? The only reason I'm familiar with this is in early episodes, like from talking. First or second season of Seinfeld, they would say Klondike. They said Klondike Five. Like, maybe, get out of here! I swear to God, I'll, I'll find. Because that it later. had already ended by the time Seinfeld started. That had kind of ended when I was a kid. But I had one of those. Did you have one, Fez? No, we didn't have that. Not I was, in Florida. I was Hubbard Five Four One H Four, and then they said, "Stop saying that. You're four. Uh, it's four eight five four one eight four. But I, we never stopped." Even looked that up, but I still remember it was two one five Hubbard five four one H four was my first uh, phone number. But I think that goes to four eight five, and that was when I was just a little kid. That was like the first like know your phone number thing that they made you do in kindergarten. Um, and then they acted like we were retarded for saying it. So that's what that, that's the only thing that they meant. Now. When I, I was telling you, like, my dad's grandmothers, there weren't even seven digits then. Like, you would just call, and it could be, like, you know, to that one thing, and then just give me five. Or they would just say the lady's name. Like they would, Oh, yeah. You, you wouldn't even... So, so, like, if you watch Mayberry, you would see Sarah put me on with Andy, be, and that seemed, like, so funny, but it would be stupid to have numbers if it was just us. It would be like me assigning a number to fucking Chris and then saying to Fez, have you talked to 6580? It was like the operator was the town receptionist more than, the, than an actual operator. Give me the courthouse. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of... I mean, it's a, it's a friendlier, smarter way to live. I mean, now we have FaceTime, so you see the person who's calling you. I can't. Yes, if you're a Ron and Fez listener, you can. I got to keep you up with everything you're doing. We have the first FaceTime callers ever. We're able to see them. Uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, Tom, Tom, you're on Ron and Fez show. Ronnie. Yeah. They used Klondike 5 on all TV shows, so 555 was no such exchange, so they weren't giving I out thought it was an actual up. New York one. I don't think so. Does KL line up with 55? KL is 55, yeah. On the, on the that makes day. total sense then, Fez. Now, are you sure about what your, that your mom's thing, if that's what they mean, that means like kind of stations, like bulk stations, where they would have all the operators at? Yeah, I'm sure on that. And would that be the same place that they would have all the infrastructure for the for the wires and everything? Did it all have to run it through like that? I think there was like a central hub that where all of that went through. John, you're on the Run and Fez show. Run Fez, Pepper Buddies, how y'all? Yeah. I think the last caller nailed it for you. It's the two first numbers in the suffix of that area, like out here in Asheville, North Carolina, in Leicester, everybody's first three digits are 683. So Klondike, like he said, it would be KL, would be 55. Five. And if you were like 68, it would be 
Tupelo for the T and the U. I get I always when someone says call me a five 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 to I'm taking it out of the movie right there. <laughs> I am fucking taken out of it. When they started putting in real phone numbers, I was like really impressed. Because <laughs> it used to be just five 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 all the time, like in everything. They yeah. just had the five 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 number. Well now I guess what you could do is just have the the movie studio get a number, yeah. put it there, and fucking do a little commercial. Somebody called. That's what I always thought they should have done from the beginning. I believe they did that with uh, Ghostbusters. The, the Ghostbusters number was a real number, and when you called it, you, they would there would be like a message from Dan Aykroyd. Um, is that right? Yeah. And also uh, in the Seinfeld episode, Elaine was t- saying Jerry's phone number, and she banned with Klondike five 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 five. Justin, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, I just uh, I wanted to tell Pepper that the episode he's looking for for Seinfeld is the one where George Costanza is in the unemployment office when the lady asks for his phone number. And he gives uh, the KL at the beginning of it. Um, here's uh, Mike. Mike, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Chris, this will blow your mind. Uh, we used to have a party line where we shared with our neighbors, and you could pick up the phone and hear them talking. And, like, you pick up the phone and go, get off the phone, i got to call my boss. I right think party phone. lines still exist. Do they really? I th- I don't, I think you could still have them if you wanted to. Well, but a party sure. line was cheaper than yeah. um, having your own phone number. Now, here's what would happen. If, let's say, me, you, and, and Fez would share the same party line, and it would have a different ring on it for Fez oh, and a right. different ring on a view. Yeah. But then if I picked up the phone and you're on it, it's almost like we live together. Like I would have to put it down. Like kids would have no idea what it's like to want to call your friend, but your dad <laughs> is on the phone. Because you like you would go over like your dad's on the phone like with work and you're like, Hey, can I just get and he'd fucking spin on you? Like you know this what I mean? Important. Like, like you walked in while he was taking a dump. That's nuts. That's kind of exciting though, just to not, not know like weird strangers are listening in on your conversations. Well, just having it on the cord, that thing would get so stretched out from trying to walk away from other people in your family while you're talking. Uh, what's the Steve Ballmer uh, vids we have up, Chris? Oh, this is Steve. This is Steve Ballmer uh, dancing. I want to see this. Now I want to get back to Fez's nostalgia about long cords. He's dancing to Fergie. How come we can't hear it? One big fan in particular. Look at Steve Ballmer and those dance moves. He was loving it. The fans were... One big- Why does everybody love that so much? Because he's a billionaire. And they just think it's... Cool. They just, like, why is this billionaire such a giant Fergie fan? So because he's um, a billionaire, they expect him to be reserved. Exactly, yeah. They don't expect a guy with, you know, billions in the bank to be this wild and nuts at a Fergie show. Well, he's like the crazy guy that after like the racist owner of the Clippers said all that shit, he's dropped like two billion on him, even though he didn't even need to spend that much and just started coming out in press conferences and just firing up the crowd instead of being like some guy you never see. So he is he is pretty nuts to spend two billion on the Clippers. And like, but you know what? It doesn't change his lifestyle at all. 
He's That's got like it. saying, oh my God, you see how much that guy spent for a yacht. People aren't like, oh, I'm really saving up for the, you know this yacht. They're just like, I got fucking yacht money now. Oh. I, I don't have... Look, I have this fucking debate with people all the time. I don't think that you should expect to make money off of a fucking sports team. And yet they do. They never go down in value, ever. It's, it's, it seems like... Right. It, it's, but what I'm saying is then I don't want to hear about your fucking expenses. It's like if you... It, it's like if you, you put up a museum for people. You know what I mean? You're saying I'm giving back to the community. If you're going to use the name Los Angeles or St. Louis, then you got to act like this is a community project. I'm happy this guy's dancing like a fucking idiot. Good. Go for it. <laughs> Do it, Steve Ballmer. Go out of your fucking mind. I hope fucking Fergie loved that so much he went over and rode his goddamn bald head. I'm sure it did happen. You're always sure that the lowest fucking angels are served, (laughs) aren't you, Chris? You're always sure about that. Why do you think he was dancing so much? Because he knew it was coming up. Why do you fucking not pay attention to Mooch anymore? I love Mooch. I'm an asshole. You know, you you do what happens with your hat happens the same thing to me that it slowly starts to wear itself back, so it's almost like a fucking barrette for you. It's weird, but no, isn't it? It's crazy. I, oh, that's a great email from from Mooch. It's too late. Let's go back to FaceTime calls with Hard Rock Johnny. Boy, it's hard to pick him up right now. Johnny, can you see us? Hey, boys! Listen, wow, you guys look great. Thanks. I have a pair of Elvis's pants here for you because it's Elvis's birthday. I think today it was would have been eighty, right? Is it Elvis's and Bowie's birthday? What is? Why is our production team behind on everything? Because today you were supposed to take over show prep in the new year, and you, I came in today and you were crying. What about? Um, just that I'm not handling it well. What would you like to do? I'll give it to Chris. Chris, why would you leave him alone with that fucking prep? I. I today, should, today, should. whose birthday is it, Chris? Give us all the famous birthdays. It's Elvis Presley's birthday. It's David Bowie's birthday. Is that why we opened with Bowie? We did not open with Bowie. Oh, that was the Elvis song, right? There wasn't, they didn't open with Elvis either. Oh. When we have Neil deGrasse Tyson come in, why don't we bring him in to Starman? Okay. And then we'll fucking take care of it all. And then while he's coming in, well, let's just keep pointing at him. You're a star man! <laughs> Love the fucking Bowie. It's also R. Kelly's birthday. If you want to go with the musical. I'll give that one to Fez. No. You know, he's my hip-hop guy. <laughs> Stephen Hawking's birthday today. Talk talk about that with Neil deGrasse Tyson if you wanted. Look, look who's doing show prep for me. I'm fucking loving the hard rock Johnny. Johnny, uh, are you? do you know that ECW Zombie worked for your same company? I did not. I think that he was... Uh, Working over at that steak place that you guys are associated with. Really? Yeah, you ought to give them a call. We just found out. out yesterday that he he died, and I'm completely weirded out by it. Really? I have to check that out. Yeah, look into it. That's a rather interesting fact. I know that he put some stuff. Uh, I remember in Thanksgiving he had zombie pictures of him and his kid, his little kid, up yeah. together. It was really nice. He always wanted to come in and assist Fez. No one's ever wanted to do that. No one ever thought that they had Fez's best interest at heart. 
he had a big heart, and that's why he wanted to... I want to do a thing called Fez Frequently Asked Questions, because yesterday the comics <laughs> got into the, doing the thing, and they're always the same questions. It's always the, have you tried, you know, Grinder? Online dating. Uh, what if you just go out dancing one night? Why don't you go just try to pick up a guy? Craigslist? People are very fucking curious about you, Fez. I could probably put you in a cage and drive around fucking sideshows all around the country. Make a little fucking cheddar for ourselves this summer. It's a bank? Yeah. We'll spend the winters down in fucking Florida. Let me see if Fez knows the fucking winter home for the freaks. In it, Florida. Uh, I'm going to give it to you then. Gibsonton. Gibsonton. Why don't you even give me like a memory there? That's where Lobster Boy was. They would all live down there. If you fucking tried to drive by, they'd get pissed off at you. So it was like the entire community was just the freak. Well, they were carny folks, but a lot of the sideshow people lived there, too. So it makes young teens, you know, all excited. Let's, let's go over and check out the freaks. They call it the home of the freaks. It's very strange. Only you know, in Florida. You know, I, uh, well, I mean, you want to be warm in the winter. Who wants to fucking winter in Minnesota? I mean, I guess if I was a hockey team, I would. I need more snow. Yeah. Not cold enough. I have news for you. I know you guys are bitching about the cold weather. I'm kind of digging it. Uh, the last two nights have just been so bitter cold. I came and I'm having trouble smoking cigarettes outside. Oh, you don't smoke in your apartment anymore? Uh, I might not be because now on next Tuesday, I might have to leave here a little early because there's a, um, there's a big meeting about making the entire co-op smoke-free. And you want to go for I to don't, to you know pro smoking? Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I will give you that day off right now if you need the whole day. I want. I'm going to say this. This is why I'm loving the winter, and I'm loving it because it limits your options. I can't possibly do anything anyone wants me to do. It's too cold. It's not going to happen. You, I get in. I dress comfortable. And I have eight or nine naps, and I come back to work. And I don't know, you know, what's the big deal? I know you guys, you're not summer dudes. You're not fly fishermen. No. Neither one of you is going, oh, where's my GoPro? I got an adventure <laughs> fucking weekend going on. <laughs> yeah, my head is asking for it. <laughs> you don't do anything. That's what I'm saying. I go smoke. to bars. It's just a cloud of smoke on a GoPro. <laughs> just a fucking guy <laughs> drinking and looking at a racing sheet. <laughs> you should just do a GoPro of you fucking eating at a buffet. <laughs> mm. I don't know. You know what I mean? I try to get along with everybody. Johnny, yes, I'm going to tell you something right now, and I've given it some thought. And I think I'm moving over with you on the Ohio State thing. Uh, get on the bandwagon. It's all right. Well, it's not a bandwagon because I'm not going to live or die with it, but right. I'm just watching and looking it over, and I just think the Oregon thing is untested. It's it's going to be a classic finesse versus a smash mouth team. You got, you know, Oregon is a very finesse you know, that offense is dinks and dunks, and, and Ohio State is just going to punch them right in the mouth. They did that's, that to fucking Alabama, and I think... Absolutely. Um, it's hard. Now, by the way, here's another thing for the playoffs. This team wouldn't have made the playoffs. The team that I'm saying I think would win this wouldn't have even made the playoffs. And I'd certainly take the points. 
Oh, absolutely. It's still a minus six on Oregon. What are you waiting for, Chrissy? I don't bet college. I'm just on... Even when it's a fucking gimme like this. Think... Even when they're handing out money. You're saying it's gimme? Sure I'm saying it's gimme. All right, I'm in. <laughs> so... You need to jump on that. <laughs> Give me some of that Ohio State. Oh, there's also the Oklahoma basketball game tonight. Get down on that. All right. You say that's... <laughs> what's the... It's done. <laughs> what's the it's over. Call up your bookie to say pay me. Don't even put the butt down. Now, Fez, <laughs> you should be nervous about having the number one pick. And obviously, it's going to be this Oregon quarterback. I think his name is Billy Hawaiian. Is that it? Johnny Hawaiian. Johnny Hawaiian against uh, old crab legs, James Winston. <laughs> <laughs> and you were saying no way that they take, they don't take, uh, that Tampa will not do Winston under any circumstances. He's yeah, great. it's not going to be Jameis, no. I've been watching stuff, and the experts are saying this kid has a real shot at being a dominating NFL player, that he's a pocket passer, that he's a thinker, that he's got a fucking world-class arm, you know, he's got a baseball arm, and they're crazy not to take them. Yeah, I think the Bucks will go with Johnny Hawaiian. I think that's a, nope. I don't I only watched the kid last week. I'm like I don't think he's a pro quarterback. The I, I read some of the Bucks that they were very impressed with Winston during uh, that game and that, that they had their eyes on him. I don't I I don't want this to come off as fucking racist under any circumstance. Okay. But this Oregon quarterback, what's his real name? I'm not even sure. I'm not. You got to look it up, Chris. <laughs> yes. My fucking sports director has to look it up. It's Johnny Tsunami. Marcus Mariota. All right, what's his name? Marcus Mariota. Did you get stepped on again? I got stepped on my dick. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. I suppose there's fucking two minutes left, and they're playing the Colts, right? What if somebody rolls a fucking pineapple on the field? How do we know this kid isn't going to fucking take off? Has that ever happened before? I mean, you got to wear a No, because we, you know, it's been a long time since the throw in Samoan. <laughs> He's in Dole's pocket. <laughs> That fruit company is going to fucking just I, run that league. I don't think Dole's in Hawaii anymore. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think they third world it. I think Larry Ellison bought that old pineapple uh, island, and he's not even making fucking... He's not even doing pineapples anymore. I don't know if I want to live in a world where Dole's not in Hawaii. I think you've lived in that world for a long time. <laughs> Tedcourt is in New Jersey. What are you going to do? You got this fucking Hawaiian kid, right? Yeah. And someone else surfs up. Because those kids will run out of fucking school if they think there's a fucking break. I'm surprised he's not even in the WWE right now. They're scouting him. I don't ever like to come off prejudice, though. But I get a little fucking nervous about that. You know? I don't think you have anything to worry about right now. And these are valid points. I know, but we live in a whole different world now. You know? Uh, 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 oh. All right, Johnny. Boys, we'll talk to you soon. Go Buckeyes. Anybody? Who are you picking, Fez? Oregon. Why? Because uh. of Portlandia? Well, no, I want uh, Mariota to walk into Buck's training camp with, uh, camp with a national championship. You didn't fucking watch a single Bucks game this year. You no. didn't root. Why don't they just try to develop one of their other quarterbacks? I know it's fucking win now, but I I don't 
you know, those... Everybody always says the Bucks don't have a fucking quarterback. But three Bucks have left that team and won a Super Bowl. Three quarterbacks have left Tampa and won Super Bowls. I don't think any other team can say that. No, where their alumni have achieved such success. Great summation. But, Fez, name the three. I'm trying to pull you into this. Trent Dilfer. Go. Um, Steve Young. Doug. And I don't know the third. Doug Williams. Oh, yeah, Doug Williams. That's pretty fucking crazy when you think about it. It's terrible. Bucks fans just feel bad about themselves a lot of the time. No, they love it because they have sailboats. Oh. Their life is good. They fucking jet ski. They're not tied up in this, like, and plus, it's, you know how, like, Shelby said, people don't really care about football uh, in St. Louis? Yeah. They don't care about pro football so much in Florida. They're fucking crazy about college football. And the same is true of uh, Atlanta. I guarantee you there's more fans of that college team than there are the Falcons. Well, we saw in the, in the Falcons when the, the playoffs last or two years ago or whatever. They were It was empty. No one was even cheering for them as they were winning when they beat Seattle in like the, in the, in the divisional round. Atlanta just doesn't care. It's college football, and even baseball. The Braves fucking have shitty fans, too. Terrible fans. They only care about college football in, in goddamn Atlanta? And college football was bigger than pro football up until, like, late 50s, early 60s. And even then, even throughout the 60s, fucking football teams were playing in baseball stadiums. It was really only around the 70s that it, I think they, I think after the Super Bowl, you can start and certainly say, oh, it's bigger. But now that college has added this, and you hear the last two games are the biggest things that's ever been on ESPN. On cable, not just ESPN, cable broadcast history. On cable broadcast history, even though all the biggest things were on ESPN before that. <laughs> AMC wasn't exactly dominating, <laughs> well, like but uh, I turn on like the ESPN shows, and they're already at the at the fucking Cotton Bowl. They're fucking laying up as if you know the way they used to for the Super Bowl. Like we're here this week. There's a lot of excitement in town. Well, they did. They've created the College Super Bowl. They've it is w- the College Super Bowl, which would be a great fucking name. CSB. Uh, Drew, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, hey, cousins, what's going on? Hey, cousins, great to see you on our new FaceTime phone. Hey, it's beautiful. I love this new technology thing. Yeah, well, you got to keep up, Black Mirror and all, you know. Yeah, you know. So, listen, I can completely understand Tampa Bay's like losing athletes and then them going on to win championships as a Clevelander. Like, I wish we could just find one, like. Even with the Browns, I wish we could find one quarterback that could just stay and play and win us some more games. I mean, you know. You got Johnny Football. What more can we give you? We well, got you the we most exciting like young player in history. You got the man. Go get Tebow. He's still fucking ready. <laughs> and he only played quarterback. By the way, have you guys ever watched Tebow on those college football panel shows? I haven't seen him. It's the fucking funniest thing. First of all, 
I'm saying this as a guy who I think Tebow is adorable. I think that he's really a fucking sweet guy. So he's on these panel shows. While the other guy is talking, Tebow has a big smile on his face and nods. Just nods at the person no matter what they're fucking saying. (laughs) So I spent like all those college fucking bowl games that nobody watched. Well, nobody went there and watched. I think they probably did okay on TV. Um... Just watching Tebow on those shows and cracking the fuck up. He's just really excited about everything that was happening. He's just happy to be in life. He's got God on his side. Every time I'll fucking go and I'll read the comments on some sports story. They'll go, they let this guy in and they ran Tebow out for being religious. I fucking, uh, the Carolina quarterback. Cam Newton? Yes, Cam Newton. Who else is it going to be? Derek Anderson, he's the backup before the game, he's praying and had his head on a goalpost, and they put a close-up on him, and they finally had to cut away because he was praying so long. And no one ever brings it up. But if Tebow prayed, it was the greatest thing ever. It was celebrated. I don't remember him getting attacked and run out of the league for it, right? It was celebrated. People liked that he was so godly. Can I just bring something up? Yeah. Racial is what I'm trying to bring up to you. They pay attention to the white guy. They don't with the black guy. Racial. Okay. Now, here's another thing of racism that I'd like to bring up. All right. You know how we always keep the blacks on the back of the bus and the whites in the front? What? Racial. Here's what I'd like to do. I make it a first-come, first-served society where wherever you show up, if there's a seat, whether it's on the front of the bus or the back of the bus, you get to sit there. I'll give you another thing that's uh, fucking driving me crazy about America. Uh, what's that? Right, you go uh, out and you'll see the public restrooms. And you know how we have the white restrooms and then the black restrooms? Yeah. Why? Why? Why not just do this? A men's restroom and a ladies' restroom. Divide ourselves by genitals and not by skin color. What if I just want to go to the bathroom with other white people, though? I got another one for you, too. I, every time, like, I'll go down to the local department store and they'll have, like, a counter in there, like a lunch counter. Yeah. And you know how we just assume no blacks? Sure. My idea is this blacks sit down at a lunch counter, have a little fucking snack for themselves as long as they have the money, and then they pay for it. And they leave. With us, the white guys. At pre-designated times? Oh, oh, I got another fucking idea, too. Uh, Baseball, how we have the two leagues. My idea is get shit-can the Negro League, and then everybody plays together. Anyway, I probably seem like a nut to you guys. I'm probably just a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Someday you'll join me, and there'll be two dreamers. Me and you. I just want to say something else, too. Yeah. If you dream it, you can be it. I'm going to say that to the kids out there. To the older people, I want to say you probably dreamed it too late. You should have dreamed it when you were a kid. It's too late for you to be it now. I doubt there's much you can do to get out of the situation that you're in. You have too much responsibility. I mean... (sighs) Forget it. You know what I mean? You're stuck. runs things. You're stuck. You screwed up. So, um... This year I was pushing, I promised Fez that he'd be Harvard's hasty pudding girl, uh, the woman of the year. And we lost it out to Amy Poehler because the Parks and Rec is leaving. Which, by the way, has me sad. 
Real sad. I thought it was gonna. I thought it was gonna go on for much longer. Even not though- only is it not going to go on longer, it's being shat upon by the NBC, and they're telling them to double up and get out in six weeks or something. What else do they have? What- all right, so why not just fucking make the run a little bit longer? What else they have in the wings at NBC? That's Let me good. look over here. All right. What is it? It's a show called The Goat Whisperer. And <laughs> what does a goat have to say? It eats cans. No, you whisper to the goat, you fucking moron. <laughs> you don't have a goat whisper to you. <laughs> All right. Here are the birthdays today. And it's the what I consider the rock and roll trilogy that each generation hands it down. Elvis Presley, David Bowie, and Flathead. I want to play music by all of them today. I didn't know Flathead was a musician. You don't have to fucking be a musician to be rock and roll, motherfucker. Right. And he's a rock and roll son of a bitch. He's a rock and roll suicide. Uh, the Riot LA Fest guy is up on the Interrobang. Norm MacDonald. Maria Bamford, Andy Kindler. This is not happening with our buddy Ari Shafir. And the Rose Battle with Jeffrey Ross. Go check all this out at the iBank, but you guys in L.A. want to make sure you make it to the Riot L.A. Fest. Uh, Very, very cool. A hypnotist video, I think, is days old. Old... And uh, Shelby was crying about uh, faux gras. What's your big problem with faux gras, bud? I, I had, like, never really thought about it and, like, really looked into what it was. I know it was goose, but they're, like, stuffing a goose with food until it's practically going to explode. And then that's what you eat? Like, it seemed crazy. No, you eat the liver. <laughs> it's the delicious liver of the animal that you then But why devour? did you torture it, basically, before you eat it? You're not torturing it. That's how, you, that's how you're preparing the food. Look, I'm going to tell you this, Chris. It's not a nice thing what they do to them. But when you spread it on a fucking cracker, it's oh, out of this world. Oh, it's amazing, dude. I mean, you can't... What he's saying, you can't take and say, oh, that fucking goose doesn't mind. It's a terrible thing that happens. But, you know... I was getting slaughtered every day. But I'm here, But you're hearing chefs complain about it. As if, like, people are saying, oh, you can't use tables anymore. All your customers... No, you don't understand because you you have a child's palate. It's a fucking fantastic dish. And if you were a chef, you want it on your menu. That's the problem that we have here. If, If we did this to geese and then it tasted like fucking shit, then everyone would be like, yeah, don't do that to geese. But I'm telling you, it's fucking fantastic. It's a foie gras like celebrated as one of like the the fucking best high end foods, just fast foods in general. Like it's, it's unbelievable. It, it's really really good. Yeah, that's why it's on. That's yeah. That's why it's there. That's why it's on menus. It's incredibly delicious. But there's yeah, well, there's a lot of fantastic things out there that we. What don't do you, have. you 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 seem like a third? Are you in PETA? Yeah, I'm in PETA now, but I mean, it's like... I can't talk to him. All right, thanks for trying to be on. I don't understand where this thing came from with him, is what I'm trying to say. He's not in PETA. He's a meat eater. 
This ha- I mean, not this particular method, but this basically happens to any animal that we eat. And by the way, this conversation, no, not the same way. We're not... Sh- I mean, yeah, forced. what happens with chickens in the f- factory, but there's nothing worse. I mean, they put like a tube in their mouth and they just force it down until like their liver, little liver explodes with, with deliciousness. It's really- As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even mind trying this with other animals. Imagine, I mean, a cow, so many parts of a cow and a pig are so good. But you're acting like this debate just came up and it's been around for years. And even when it got banned places, no one paid attention to it. You know what I mean? Like, no cop is going to go in and find out what, what fucking one food you're serving. Is that some fog rock? But shut this place down. No, come on. It's too delicious. So he brought it up to me. I thought maybe he had a new hook on it. Um, but what are you? What are you gonna do? I mean, it's a fucking fantastic food. It's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, and it really, when it when it went down in California, I mean, I think everyone thought it was it, this thing can't last, and it wasn't enforced. So this is. I think it even happened in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't think it was enforced. No, it's not like someone went in and unplugged all the geese and said, you're free to go now. Well, you could do it at other places. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, those same farms just didn't sell it to those places. Oh, they sent, oh I, I see what yeah, you're it saying. Was, it never was a national thing. It was just like a couple of states who had somebody come up in front of their little local, con- and then the council went, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. And everyone went, like, oh, I guess you don't go out and eat much. <laughs> do you, have you tasted it, sir? I mean, that's the whole fucking case against them. Just bring in some foie gras. Look, it's seared. Try it. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. I wish it wasn't. Unmasked uh, with Robert Kelly premiering tomorrow. Oh, Bennington airs tomorrow on Opie Radio at 7 a.m. And remember I told you guys years ago that I had heard a Cosby story? Yeah. Yeah. That story is going to be told tomorrow. I always said two things. It wasn't my story to tell because Gail was the one who heard the story. And I said, uh, you know, with everything that's going down, would you tell that story tomorrow? I've been dying to hear the story for years. I cannot wait to to hear it. It's, (laughs) It's a disturbing story. And is not like the stories that are already out there, which I believe didn't three more people come out against Bill just recently? Yeah, three more women. Fucking crazy. It's every single day. Um... Like, he must have been doing this constantly if, if if, if these people are telling the truth. I uh, I I don't want to do that. All right, here's our buddy, Chef Darren. Uh, how you doing, pal? Hey, cousin. How you doing today? Good. It's great to see you hey. on FaceTime. Hey, it's great to see you, too. I just want to let Shelby know, um, first of all, with the Fogwar production, they've been on record saying that the geese would eat like that anyway, if left up to their own devices. So in France, there is actually cruelty-free Fogwar. You can just was, you can just put a pile of food in front of them and they'll keep eating that way, right? Until their liver actually explodes. They're idiots. Yeah, well, dogs will do the same thing, unfortunately. Really? Yeah, you could if you give a dog enough food, they'll eat themselves to death. 
I know goldfish were that way. I was always getting in trouble when I was a kid for overfeeding fish. Dumping food in there. Yeah. And then my mom would yell, you're killing the fish. And I go, they're fish. We just fucking ate fish last night. Now, either you, if you want this to be my chore, let me do it my way. And that's a lot of food comes in, and then I forget about it for a couple weeks. And funny you mentioned fish. The alternative right now to foie gras is monkfish liver, and there's also a couple other trash fish that are becoming notary for their liver. Chef Darren, where are you working now? I'm actually just, I told you a couple months ago, I started my own company selling barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. And I'm opening up um, to the public soon. Well, Doing gourmet when, barbecue sauce. You can follow me on Twitter at the Killer Cook. When uh, when you get it all ready to go, stop down and see us with some one day. All right. It would be my honor, buddy. Maybe we can figure out how to do a barbecue out on the street one day. That would be fucking great. Oh hell yeah! I wonder if we could talk to the building because I know Fox News pulls off some stuff like that, but they own the entire building. I but, would love to just cook for you guys. So yeah. Dream. But a street uh, street barbecue would be great. Or maybe we just do a Friday upstate or something, or Connecticut, and then we'll have the rest of the weekend off. Well, my family does run a farm-to-table butcher shop in Cold Spring as well. Wow, wow that would be fucking great, right? So I could get the whole family involved if, and do a Ron and Show Fez special up there. That sounds fantastic. All right, let's, re- let's remember that when the weather breaks. Sounds good. Peace. Thanks. Uh, here's Lori in Yonkers. Lori. Uh, hi. Um, so, first of all, I'm looking at a full dish of my dog's food, which he is not eating right now because it's very breed-specific, which dogs will eat themselves to death. Oh, I didn't know like, this. I can leave it out like a cat. Like, he's, like, <laughs> not an overeater. But anyways, um, if you want to know more about the geese eating um, until... Okay, the humane foie gras is made by kind of rationing out their food a little bit, and then when it's time for them to naturally, seasonally, like, fatten themselves up for the winter, just allowing them to completely glut themselves, giving them as much food as they could possibly eat. Um, You could uh, read more about it by looking up um, Dan Barber's um, TED Talk and also... um, it was part of the, like, a This American Life from 2011. Um, I, just, I had no idea this. Well, it's, you know, they fatten themselves up for winter, and you can use that natural impulse to give them, like, rich, calorie-heavy food to, you know, make something maybe not as huge and fast-growing as the... Um, the force-fed foie gras, but something pretty good that you don't have to feel as bad about eating. Um, all right, that's cool. I had no idea. Yeah, something to look into. Peace. All right, see, here's the problem with you, Shelbo. All these guys out box you, they have more info than you did. You just heard about it for the first time and then realized that people know about this. A lot of people love themselves some foie What's gras. What's that air with him? He wants to on. talk unless he's called in, and then he has nothing to say. I guess we don't have time to uh, Not yet. break he, before. He was, going to, uh, he was going to check. Well, it would be nice if we broke, right? Yeah, we could break beforehand. Well, we- 
can we, or does he have but, to check? This would have been the exact time. I just, I just got a text that they'll be here in two minutes. So it would have been dumb to break, right? Yeah, it would have been stupid. I just got the text right now. But you just gave me that it's okay to break. What if I would have thrown it to break then? That would have been silly. A piece up on the iBank today about the uh, comedian's uh, response to that attack in France. Canaan, uh, Louis C.K., John Stewart. Um, this is a very strange story and, uh, you know, horrific. Just horrific. I heard that so one kid already uh, turned himself in. One of the uh, three uh, dudes. You say one kid like it's somebody who stole like shit in the lockers at school. One of the kids turned himself in. He says he's sorry. Uh, okay, they already sent that out without... Now, he said, I just overnight the CD along with the paperwork. He listened to it. He loved it. Okay, so it's all done then, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He listened to it, loved ev- everything. Loved everything in it. Okay, great. Thought it was perfect. When we had our award. <laughs> Let's collect. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, 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 wasn't there other ones that we were going to shoot for, too? Oh, yeah, I think, I believe so. I'll, I'll check in with Don to see which ones. I guess I should check in. Oh, from Los Angeles, California, home of the doors. It's also Robbie Krieger's birthday today. This is a fucking rock birthday. You and Don get along? I feel we get along, yeah. It always seems like after you have a meeting with him, I have to have a meeting to fix that fucking meeting. I'm being told now four others that we're going to shoot for. I'll just say email him to Chris. He ignores everything. He's looking at his phone instead of paying attention to me. Nice guy text from Fez. Okay, I'm going to look at my phone now, too. (laughs) They they come in sometimes during the show. What Fez say? He says, coming now. So, uh, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson is here. Um, His Star Talk uh, premieres Monday, January 12th on SiriusXM Insight. But we don't have the TV show done. Cosmos. No, there's a. He's doing a late night TV show, Star Talk. I'll shall be running in. That was on the uh, I bang this morning. Now he's in the bathroom. Tell uh, Fez. Then why did you tell us the other thing? <laughs> I'm texting that right now. Yeah. I'm gonna text him. Uh, Rich in the Poconos, you're on the run of Fez show. Does it really matter how the goose is raised or what? We lost you? I say it doesn't matter to him how the goose is raised. I understand that. Um, But on the other hand, 
It is delicious. I mean, we are humans. We've earned the right to conquer other animals. And if they... No, I don't think so. I think just the opposite. You're saying because you're an adult, you have the right to do anything you want with children. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, I'm not going but that I'm road. saying that's the logic. That's the same kind of logic. No, no, but that's, that's it's humans with other humans. No, but, but the fact of the matter is, oh, we're humans. We've moved our way up. I can beat a dog to death with a golf club if I want to. That's the exact opposite of being civilized, Chris. Look, the fact of the matter is if you really look at it, I think the vegetarians have a point. On the other hand, until they make vegetables as good as fried chicken, it's going to be a very difficult thing to make the switch. But I am... I. I I think you're in. There was a piece up. I don't know if we put it up on the iBank, but in your own neighborhood, Chris, there in Queens, where you go in and, and kill and butcher the animal yourself. And people who do that and are part of that thinks it makes them a better human being than you grabbing a falafel or a fucking, you know, because you're not aware where food comes from. Yeah, I mean, I. If you were able to say to us, hey, I've earned this right, you, and you would stab a duck to death I would, uh, and feel good about it, I would think, okay, he's committed. I think you zero think about it. i got to bring in Dr. Tyson. Start Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson premieres Monday, January 12th on Sirius XM Insight. Channel 121 at 5 o'clock. Podcast also available on iTunes. Let's go to StarTalkRadio.net for more information. Let's bring in Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, it's up to you. Uh-huh. I could go either way with it. I've actually pretty much destroyed my hearing from those headphones. Oh, really? Wow. Over the years, yeah. And rock and roll shows. <laughs> Just too It's not loud. the headphone itself. It's yeah, what you put it's, through the headphone. Just yeah, make that so clear. It, well, I can't listen. Let the well. record show. <laughs> yeah. It's what you playing over the headphones. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I tried to sue a headphone company, it'd be thrown out quickly. <laughs> uh, all right, your show. How you doing, man? It's been a while. It yeah, has been be a while. On. And it's always interesting to see what you're up to. Well, it's just the universe. Uh, it's you know, just the universe. not a mystery there about what I'm up to. You are keeping an eye on the universe for us. Somebody's so. got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but you're always involved in all these fun projects, now taking it to kind of a TV talk show. Yeah, that's this is the I, I've had this radio show for four yeah. or five years now, and it started very small, basically on a grant from the National Science Foundation. Is that right? Yeah, we convinced them that maybe there are people out there who don't know that they like science mm-hmm. or know that they don't like science. How do you get science to them? And I, I we imagined a radio show where I would be the host and I'm the scientist, and the guest would not be a scientist. And the guest is someone hewn from pop culture, mm-hmm. and that person would have a following, because I 
got them from pop culture, sure. right? And they, then if you have a following, they'll follow you wherever you go. They'll follow them to this show. And then I'll have a conversation about all the ways that science has influenced their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so this is, and we add a comedic element to it. My co-host is always a professional stand-up comedian. And so what you get at the end of this is this seamless blend of comedy, science, and pop culture with the goal to make it very clear to you whoever's listening that that science is not just something you step around or go under or step over or you can ignore it's all around us all the time right all the time and so it's a celebration of how science manifests in, in everyday life well you know the the show cosmos i was just talking to my daughter about this and she said because uh, i told her you were coming back in and she was so excited how old is she she's uh you know how kids are but they uh <laughs> they're perfect age they're three and five my kids okay but she actually said to me that she wells up uh, a couple times watching Cosmos to well up because I think that th- that we almost keep the universe out of our minds. That's a perceptive point, yeah. and I'm forced to agree with you on that. I don't yeah. want to have to agree, but it's true. Yeah. I think the universe is out of reach, and so it's out of mind. And mm-hmm. then your sense of the world is just your personal everyday life. What did you have for breakfast? What happened at work? You meet your colleagues at the end. You go to school. But the, a, a true cosmic perspective, if you carry it with you at all times, it puts context in all of that, and it it alerts you of how you fit in time and in pl- space and in size and in, and I think it's it's an illuminating enlightening uh, posture to sure. have and it, especially enlightening it, it you you think about different things during the day for having it well you get, if your kids are doing it at age yeah. three and five I, well, the, there they are <laughs> well the, but see here's the, the amazing thing you're part of this and we forget that we're part of this we think i have to go to work or i have to do that you know all the things that we do have to do but you get to remember that whatever this is as big as it gets or as small as it gets you're part of it and that's somewhat of a spiritual feeling in the ways that it the feeling you get from it can't uh, yeah, it's, it's a spiritual no yeah. doubt that it's a spiritual uh, awakening even yeah. uh, we can even add the word awakening to the spirituality of it in the sense that Upon realizing that not only are we in this universe, that the universe is in us because the molecules and atoms of your body derive from the activities of stars that have lived out their lives before our solar system was born. And these ingredients were forged in the centers of stars and scattered into gas clouds, out of which subsequent generations of stars and planets would be formed, including ours. So... We are a participant in the great unfolding uh, cosmic story that began with the Big Bang and who knows where it will end. And so, uh, yes, that's a spiritual feeling. It's spiritual with a small s. It's not that there's spirits dancing around sure. the head of a pin. It's just that it conveys a feeling. It, it instigates a feeling within you that we don't often have the occasion to describe. Yes. And the closest word we can come to it is that it's spiritual, and I agree with you entirely. Well, I think when we're all ever, when we're trying to talk about spiritual things, it's being connected. But the fact of it is, even in sci-fi, when we think of things as alien, blah, 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 we are connected to whatever alien things. We're connected in the sense that they're going to be made of atoms yeah. that you found in our body or in the rocks or the atoms yeah. that show up on our periodic table of elements. Yeah. They're not made of some, well, 
okay, you might say, how do you know? We haven't found aliens yet. Well, we can look across the galaxy and across the universe and find with our telescopes and special tools attached to the business end of the telescope, we can discover the existence of our chemistry across the galaxy and across the universe. We have ways to do this. And so if you're going to be made of any real stuff in the universe, it's going to be made of similar ingredients to us. And most of these discoveries that you're talking about took place during your lifetime. Oh, complete. Well, since um, post-Second World War, mm-hmm. uh, that's the fairest way to put it. And I was born not long after. I'm a baby boomer, so yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's kind of remarkable when you think about that. Well, no, no, no. So, yes. However, let me offer some cosmic perspective yeah. on that. It may be not that these last 50, 70 years are remarkable, but that we are on an exponential growth curve where any 50 years will look remarkable to all the time that has preceded it. Or maybe any 10 years or three years. Or, yes, yeah, whatever yeah. that time scale yeah. of relevance there. So it's why practically everyone, and I have a, a series of books that track back to basically to the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, every one of the books talks about, isn't it great to be alive at this time? Yeah. Look yeah. at, our, we now have airships yeah. that, to transport people. We now have uh, an aeroplane to, mm-hmm. you know, the people are extolling the, the fruits of the emergent science and technology in any given period throughout this whole time. So we're not special in that regard. We're the same, but it's good to be the same on this exponential growth curve. Yeah, it's fun. I remember my dad coming home from work and having this thing in his pocket, a slide rule. And that's... What are you, 100 years old? What are you telling us here? This was in the you know late 60s. That Okay, your dad was using the slide yeah, rule. Right, it was rule, on you. Oh, sorry, yeah, my sorry, dad was you. using a slide rule every day. And I, was like, I, I know how to use a slide rule. Do you yeah, really? Yeah. My favorite scale is the K-scale. I'm, I'm for, one, for the geeks out there. I don't know yeah. how many geeks listen to your show. Yeah. The K-scale is the cube root scale of the slide rule. So you, you put your indicator over a number and you read a, another scale that lines up with it as the cube root of that number. And I thought that was the most awesome thing ever. And you did that as a kid? You as said, a kid. Well, as yeah. a middle schooler. Yeah. 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 But it's so... I, I carried geek cred from right, way back. Yeah. From when you were just... A, well, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Yeah. So you knew then. You're oh, like, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. This is a life path for me. Yeah. I think the universe chose me, actually. I, yeah. don't, I don't think I had any say in the matter. See, that's a spiritual thing to say. <laughs> I didn't say I know I had no say in the matter. I said I didn't think I had any say in the matter. I was minding my own business in a planetarium dome, the Hayden Planetarium. Uh-huh. And I was struck, starstruck, by the, the stories that were told and the stars that came out. And, and now I'm director of that same planetarium, of course. It's and it's, so it's a um, sort of hometown kid kind of story. But nonetheless... Uh, now I see kids coming in that were my age, and uh, every one of them, they go by, I just wonder, you know, is this yeah. another one who's going to be touched by the cosmos? Well, uh, the first episode of Cosmos, where uh, you kind of tell your story in a bus trip. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was an amazing, amazing thing. Well, thanks for remembering that. I mean, yeah. I, it was heartfelt, so I'm yeah. glad you felt that it was heartfelt. Plus, I even sort of welled up a couple of times, yeah. and, and we had multiple takes, and each take, I'm like feeling it every time. So, so thanks for noticing that, because it's real, and it's that scene, if people haven't 
that didn't see episode one of Cosmos, it uh, which aired on Fox, by the way, which is yeah. itself quite a statement of the access that science has to the general public. Um, Cosmos did not appear on some in some science ghetto channel up mm-hmm. on the so where they only get science. It's, it it reached into the population through a major network in prime time on a Sunday night because where else are you on a Sunday night mm-hmm. if not home? So. Uh, this, this was an, so, you know, I met Carl Sagan when I was 17. He wrote a letter to me unsolicited invite. He saw my application to college. I'd been admitted to Cornell, saw the application was the application was sent to his attention by the admissions office because my application was dripping with the universe. And they Mm -hmm. said, do you, do you want to do anything about this? He wrote me a letter, hand signed letter saying, why don't you come and I'll give you a tour of the campus to help you decide whether you want to come. And I said, who's this? this the, one, the guy who's been on Johnny Carson? with all that. I said, Mom, Dad, Dad, Dad well, look at this. And sure enough, it was real and it was legitimate. And he met me uh, on the campus. And we would later dig up his appointment book and find my name in his book. Yeah, and so that name. was especially touching for me. Yeah. And again, about that connectedness and, and, the, and the fact that we're not here alone. We're doing things... Uh, for each other or against each other all the time. Well, because we're social. Yeah. We're social animals. Yeah. I mean, we're not alone in the animal kingdom among who is social. Mm-hmm. Uh, ants are social animals. Um, you, you look at animals where they gather together and hang together. Wolves are social animals. So uh, we don't have unique, unique claim to that fact. But... Uh, and any means of communication ever devised, we completely embrace, right? Even when it's something as uh, on the surface as trivial as Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. We go from I can give a whole conversation, have a whole conversation with you on a telephone, I can mail you letters, send you photos, but now I want to communicate you with with you using 140 characters. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought yeah. that would have caught on? But of course it has, and it's another way we all communicate with one another. Uh, and it makes you wonder if ants had Twitter, would they coordinate a much larger structure? Yeah, we'd, we'd be working for them. <laughs> we'd be working for the ants. I should tweet that right now. <laughs> but it is, it is always amazing that people, to see how quickly they will adapt to technology. You know, you're sitting saying that, you know, that people think that they don't like science, but the second that there's a technology that it. they can use, all over it. Not only they'll actually bitch about it, it doesn't do this, and, you know, and how quickly that takes place. And uh, it happens on airplanes. So, you here, you ready? So, you board an airplane that has 200 other people in it. It flies 37,000 feet at 550 miles an hour for 2,500 miles lands and then you complain oh they didn't give me a pillow right. <laughs> it's amazing oh, yeah or the, the the steak was overcooked yeah. it's like you know chill out right did you look at what just happened here and you you landed safely come on now well, so I, I every time i get an airplane i think of wow you know, especially what is it? Is it the 757 where the Wright brothers plane, the Wright flyer mm-hmm. in his very first voyage went about the distance of the wingspan of a 757 airplane? That's as far as the plane <laughs> itself as far as far as the plane went. Everybody's like, we've done it. We, it it's the happened. wingspan of a 757. Yeah. There you go. But, um, 
But that's that is the thing about technology. Have you seen Black Mirror yet? By the way, the, no, I haven't. Uh, what is it? It, it basically animal, vegetable, and mineral. What is it, it? It's kind of a Twilight Zone, uh, an update on Twilight Zone that deals with technology as well. Is it it came TV? out of England, yeah. TV. Yeah. Okay, no, I haven't and seen it, it. It basically shows a lot of stuff of how we struggle with some of the social stuff with the amount of information that's brought in and stuff. It's, it's interesting. Well, wait, let me tell you like why it. we don't actually struggle. Can yeah. I give you a contrarian view on that? Yeah. The only people who struggle are the people whose sense of the pace of information was carved in a previous era. So no one no. under 20 is saying, oh, I'm overwhelmed by this information. Yeah. None of them. In fact, no one under 30 is complaining about a flow of information. They're taking in every minute of it. So it is, it, I don't want to call it, um, uh, it's not, what's the word where, it's not like, it's not full up Luddite, uh-huh. but to assert that because it's too much information for you, that it's too much information for everyone, that's hubristic of any of us to make such an assertion. What you need to do is have that conversation with people who were born into that state of information flow. There was a saying not 10 years ago, uh, the internet is the world's greatest library, except all the books are scattered on the floor. (laughs) That was a common saying at the time. And I first heard it uh, uttered by... A mathematician, uh, John Paulos, uh, in, in Philadelphia. But at that time, Google search engines were not yet developed. Now we have Google search engines and other search engines and, and, and now the information is organized and presented to you. And you might quibble about how it's presented, but nonetheless, the books are put back on shelves for you to review. So these problems have been solved, and they're continuing to get better solutions as we go forward. I guess when I I, I was talking about... So I'm never going to complain about anything that's new, just because it's different from how I grew up. But the human experience uh, has changed, of course, so much. Completely. Agreed. Cowboys would look at us and go... What are those two guys doing? You know, why <laughs> Why do they think this is a way to spend their day right, talking right. into these two sticks and they think other people hear them? <laughs> so the human experience... Talking to themselves as they walk down the street. Yeah. Right. It, it would look like madness. Right. But by the way, you don't have to go back to cowboys, to, yeah. you know, 30 years ago. No one is walking up and down the street talking to themselves unless they're crazy. Exactly. Right. And now you have to wonder, is that crazy? Is it crazy to be in New York City and not paying attention to the experience of New York City. I forgot where I saw it. It might have been The New Yorker. And there's mm-hmm. a comic where you don't know, have these, these warning crossing signs, you know, children crossing or yeah. school cross. One of them, it just shows a person looking down at their smartphone. It's a crossing <laughs> sign. <laughs> Watch out for people looking at their cell phones. That's great. <laughs> but I would say to people, let's say if you go to see the, the Rolling Stones and you've got your phone up and you're trying to, you're missing the experience because you're trying to record it or... Oh, a lot to be written about that. People. That's interesting. You spend yeah. so much time trying to record an event, and I think the the most critical, uh, the, the, uh, the most potent critique I've seen of this, and maybe this is what mm. you're getting at, so forgive me for jumping all over no. you, is it used to be that you would experience something with your friends or your loved ones or your family, and then you would say, I'd like to capture this on film or in video, or with these snapshots, and then you'd go ahead and do so. And then you'd look at the picture later on and say, that's when we were in Antigua. That's when we were at Disney World. Or that's when we, that's when Grandma died. Or that's when we, all right. Now, no one is, well, 
you don't find people creating the event for the photograph. The act of posing for the photograph becomes the event mm. and becomes what gets presented online in social media. So, so the fact that you've been photographed with someone appears to matter more than whatever was going on at the time the photograph was dis- you chose to take the photo itself. And that's an interesting shift, and yeah. I don't quite know what that means for the future. Yeah. Well, Your memories are collections of photos, not co- collections of events. That is fascinating, and it also makes it very difficult to parent for people because you're trying to give. Your advice. kids are three and five. You're not. You haven't but parented yet. You are. <laughs> you are. your kids doing drugs? Are they, do they want the car over the weekend? Sometimes, <laughs> but you're giving advice to people in situations that you haven't lived. Where let's say before, excellent point. Yeah, before and for generations, we're candlestick makers. This is how you make the candle. This is how you earn your living. This is where you find. This is wife. why. Yeah. This is why since the Second World War. The younger generations have not given the respect for the elders that the elders expected of them. And what I think is behind it is the fact that no longer will you enter the same profession that your parents did so that they do not have the workplace insight and skill sets to teach you the way they once did. Your parents are not, they're not a, 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 a smith or a yeah. baker or this. And they'll, but some are, of course, but mm-hmm. the majority of people, that is not the case, not the case. And so the elders are now seen from my read of how what uh, in society in America post war is the elders are things we need to look after and make sure they don't kill themselves rather than people we turn to at every moment for wisdom. To, for, for wisdom. Now, mm-hmm. of course, there's some wisdom about how to treat people and the mm-hmm. like, but the totality of what the elders used to provide is no longer there, especially since nowadays people are changing jobs every three or five years and you're in a job that didn't exist when you were in college. Yes. Yeah, and, and we've known for decades you do not get car buying advice from your father, right? Because yeah. they do not know what <laughs> It is what's yeah. coming around so that's my accounting at least however however simplified of the disrespect in america that parents um the disrespect that exists between children and parents if there's a mall and you overhear some parent saying oh now timmy i need you to get to back in back in the stroller no i don't want to yeah. go i want my toy it's good it's an american kid it's not from any other country it's an american kid and it's a fascinating Fact, I wonder, I postulated for myself, whether this disrespect, because why aren't we farther behind the rest of the world? We're fading slowly, mm-hmm. all right? But we've been fading for a really long time, and we're not in the bottom yet, we're, but maybe we're headed there, I don't know. We've somehow held on beyond my expectations. Could it be that this disrespect for elders is part of a mindset where you are not going to do things the way others have done it before you. Therein are the seeds of innovation. That's fascinating, and I've never heard anybody talk about that. And you need innovation to create new industries. If you only know what your parents knew, everything stagnates. And your parents were trained by people older than they were. So there's a big problem in the Far East where there's such reverence for the elders and for teachers. Uh, from what I've been told, I, I haven't been there to experience this, but I've been told this by many people, that if you're in a classroom, college, at any, any graduate school, if the teacher says something and you think it's wrong, you do not challenge them. 
You accept it. You eat it. It is disrespectful to say that an elder gets something wrong. And I wonder if that shuts down your creativity. Because the world is still coming to us for creativity. Yeah. It's the, the, the hackers in China getting our, our corporate secrets. It's not our corporations hacking into there to get their secrets. So I, I just wonder if, if the irreverent kids are the seeds of the innovation that continues however, at whatever faded level, it is today that I, I just I wonder that every day actually see that that is so interesting because like if you were running a classroom here and you were teaching something and a kid would say no I think that you would think I got him I this kid is paying attention we're in this <laughs> I, I a completely different attitude yeah. towards a smart smart alecky kid right I would say oh my gosh I get that wrong I don't want it to be wrong let me let let uh, right yeah I, I, let well, me get it right at least I got him thinking and he's trying to battle his way through it so yeah that would be fascinating but see that's the thing when we're teaching our kids if you're saying oh i want to make sure they do this i'm going to keep them off that you don't know a lot of people making money in social media where we could be saying i'm trying to keep my kid off twitter and facebook but the reality of we could be stopping them from career paths completely and this Mm. is why i think many of these famous entrepreneurs never finished college right the the homogenization that goes on in some colleges are, is anathema to complete and outright innovative thinking. Yeah. So that would include, of course, not only Bill Gates, but the founders, uh, Zuckerberg for Facebook and the founders of Snapchat. Uh, they're Stanford students and I, I don't think all of them graduated. They're, they're, they dropped out to finish up what this is as an entrepreneurial startup. So, uh, so yeah, so it's a curious, for me, it's curious. I, I still think we, should better educate our people. <laughs> but I think we've been hanging on by some threads because of this. Well, you've done, you know, if we look at your career. Oh, so with my kids, yeah. if you're going to disrespect me, do it because you know something I don't know. Right. <laughs> do Bring it because it I got something wrong and you got something yeah. right. And yeah. this is the this is the force that I've tried to put into play that my wife and I have in raising our kids. But uh, what I say, if I look over your career as a communicator, doing it in science, at the time that you started to do it, people were saying there's not a market for that. I mean, you really underground it with the podcast. You know, we thought, oh, yeah, you could do this lecture at the museum, but not outside. These are people constraining the yeah. full access that things can or perhaps should have had. That's right. Can you imagine the first person to propose, or uh, 20 years ago, proposing, I have an idea for a sitcom. Right. Let's have five PhD scientists, uh, and it'll just be their lives. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things that you won't understand it because it's science. It'll be funny, really. <laughs> okay, who's going to say yes to that? Yeah. And of course, that became the Big Bang Theory, and it's like the number one show on television. So I think that means that there were some shows that probably could have aired mm-hmm. decades ago, that people Close shallow mindedness about public appetite, public patience, public intellect, uh, that people were not given the credit they needed for that. Well, you are, are doing something, and I think it's helping to grow this industry of people talking about things that we don't know the answer to yet. And there was a time where you were like, we maybe would use religion to stop thinking, uh, or we would even use our own, you know, this is what history said, so this is what it will be in the future. But I think that what you've helped do is 
open up that sense of wonder that isn't it great that we haven't well, figured this th- out thank yet. you i that's thanks for noticing that because yeah. i'm not it's i do it and others do it but mm-hmm. i don't know that it's received that way so people need to recognize that that science is not some body of knowledge that we all sit back with our feet up on the desk basking in our brilliance science as it manifests is methods and tools brought to bear on a frontier between knowledge and ignorance between uh between wisdom and out downright confusion mm-hmm. and this is what we do we try to grow this area of knowledge all the while knowing that so too grows the perimeter of your ignorance yeah on that circle that that's that extends so so i having a sense of wonder mm-hmm. to embrace the unknown to learn to love the questions themselves this is something that good scientists do and many people who are uncomfortable with the unknown as you hinted mm-hmm. uh, invoke answers or they run away from the scary unknown or they make up goblins or monsters that occupy the unknown and if the more curiosity we have the more of a sense of wonder that we can reinstill within us because i think kids have sense of wonder it somehow gets beaten out of us by the time we're adults sure. and i've tried to do that on star talk to just as adults reignite reignite the curiosity that i know is in you somewhere because it was once there when you were six years old running around the house and turning over rocks and bringing worms home and as adults we somehow have lost sight of this i also think that if we allow ourselves to know that the universe knows how it works and it's just us trying to figure it out yeah that's a fine i think carl sagan might have been one of the first to 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 say that we're a way for the universe to know itself right Uh, and well sure but that's also a little bit hubristic because it implies that what we know of the universe is the knowledge of the universe and there could be some other superhuman super being Mm -hmm. that it has way deeper understanding of things than we do or ever will and so we're defining our knowledge of the universe as knowledge of the universe when it could be just a small fraction of all that can be known and you i mean i think you would even agree to that that we know yeah in fact we do, well, I, I said that flippantly but we can quantify what percent of the universe we don't know mm-hmm. all right so uh, we we don't know 95 percent of the universe right now so dark matter and dark energy two two f- features of the universe uh, dark Dark matter is like 85% of the gravity of the universe has no known origin. We call it dark matter. And the universe is expanding beyond our understanding against the wishes of gravity. We call that dark energy. If you add dark matter and dark energy together, it is 95% of all that drives the universe. And everything we do understand is the rest of the 5%. So we already know how we can quantify how ignorant we are. <laughs> <laughs> we know. I don't know if that makes it feel better, but yeah. it's a fact. Uh, Star Trek, Star uh, Talk, Star Talk yeah. is going to air on Nat Geo in uh, April. Also, Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson premieres Monday, January 12th on Sirius XM Insight, Channel 121 at 5 p.m. 
and the Eastern, pod, yeah. Uh, yeah, the podcast is also available on iTunes, StarTalkRadio.net for more info. Thanks so much for being back in here, uh, man. And thanks for having me. If anyone's interested, I, I tweet random thoughts uh-huh. in the day, and so I'm to tweet at Neil Tyson if anybody's interested. Yeah. Well, well it's always, uh, you're one of the great communicators out there, and it's... Uh, well, I got good material. Yeah, you really <laughs> so, do. <laughs> the universe is good material, so uh, there's no shortage of the future of this, I'm sure. I'll see you next time. Coming Thank through. you. Thanks for having me. Ron and Fez. On Raw Dog. Raw Dog. Comedy Hits. Channel 99. This is weird. I've just been offered by Neil deGrasse Tyson to go into space. What? Yeah. Like launched into space like an astronaut. Yeah. You're going to take it, right? Yeah, I'm definitely going to take it. I think I am. I'm going to check my schedule. But no, you just take that. You, it's, it's tonight, Chris. I'm not fucking ready. I'm sure they could prep you. I'm going to switch some stuff. I'm supposed to get a haircut. That's definitely not more important than why this. Why are you screaming? Just fucking calm down. This is why you won't go to fucking space. I had a chance to? What if I calm down? Um, no. Fuck. We're not taking addicts into space. Pat, you're on the Run and Fed show. Oh, hey, Ron. That was a fucking, fucking amazing interview, man. Well, let me just say this. Let's, let's hold on to one thing. Uh, that thing that he said that we... Because technology moves so fast here, we're we're less into our elders. We tend to think our parents and our grandparents are lamos. It's pretty interesting. Oh man, there's all that other shit about fucking photographs, and it was a you took him down certain paths that I don't think any other interviewer would have. Man, that was really well. He does this all the time. He's pretty good at it. Yeah, but it seemed like he, he was talking about even more philosophical than just straight hard. Well, I, I forced the, I forced the philosophy thing because I think it's the only thing that. How did you not fucking hear Black Mirror, Mister? I know everything. Give me a break. I uh, know. But I do like what he said because I hadn't concerned it that you won't hear anyone young talking about oh we're getting too much information. Yeah, no, and, but they're also was, uh, stupid. Going back to the other thing, it's like someone I saw someone post. Uh, YouTube taught me how to like uh, make a tie and fix my car. I never, I don't need a need, I don't have a need for my dad anymore. Well, you know what's weird? I do that kind of shit all the time. So do I. Like I'll be like, oh, I got this fucking. How do I dice this? And I'll fucking turn on YouTube, and I pick up the information. Like I'm basically been learning cooking from this Blue Apron, and then with a little bit of YouTube stuff when vegetables come up that I've never, you know, done before. It's weird that that much information. Now, not only that, Chris, but yes, if you say my my sink is clogged, what do I do? The fact that Fez sat at his house by that beeping thing without an idea shows that, you know, he doesn't... I'm not saying you don't want to be a problem solver. 
you know, but doing nothing is the exact opposite of problem solving. You, there's information everywhere right now, and we could bitch about it, you know. But I think it's amazing to be able to be able to teach yourself things on the internet. You don't need school. There's and it's literally all all laid out for you. Yet I would not. I would disagree that watching a video is the same learning experience as being in school. That you can get more in a schooling experience than you can just from watching a video. You understand what I'm saying? I I, I get it, but I mean, oh, but there's there's limitations to it, but. It's still amazing that you can get up to a certain point with just with an internet connection and a, a browser on your computer, where you can be able to do some things much more than yes. you could have in the past. But while you're bragging about that, you can also learn how to make bombs. You know what I mean? You can also learn how to fucking cook crack. That's the scary part. Uh, so it's not all just wonderful, and that's where the philosophy comes back into it of what is wonderful, what is it. That the I don't need my dad anymore. What your dad truly teaches you is not how to fix a fucking tire or tie a tie. That's not the things that we hand down from generation to generation. We hand down, here's who we are. Here's our version of right and wrong. Here's our version of what makes life worth living. And I don't know if you can do that without the elders of your people and in particular your family. I think that's a matter of why a village outside of of Seattle is different than a village outside of, let's say, Peking. Even though there are things that they share... There's also things that are different. There are things that matter to people. It, I will say this. If you tr- t- t- tend to be traveling down the road and you look over and there's a bunch of people having a picnic at some picnic tables next to the road, what ethnic background would you expect them to have? I would, my f- pops in my head was white. I would disagree 100%. What would you expect? I would say Hispanic. I would think Hispanic as well. I think Hispanic people, at least from what I can see, stay with their extended family way more than anyone else that I'm seeing. Now, that can't be genetics. That has to be cultural. When you, when you hear Hispanic people talk, they have a tendency to say, that, you know, this is who we are. Um... Preston, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, how cool I think it is that uh, comedy is, like, influencing these uh, prominent scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Because, like, you guys are talking about, like, the airplane thing. And, like, I don't want to call you up, but that was kind of like that Louis C.K. bit where oh, he's dude, about... he ripped him off. I just didn't call him on it. He ripped Louis yeah. off. Yeah. I mean, maybe you should have, but, you know, he's Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I, I, you know what? I think that's all. I mean, he wasn't another comedian doing it. Um, but so that just means that it's sunk into, you know, the culture more. But the, the, the true fact that Louis brought up is true. We bitch about things. You hear people bitch about their iPhones all the time. You hear people bitch about 
travel. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. We're going to bitch about stuff. Uh, Andrew, you're on the Running Fest show. Hey, Ronnie B. Don't you think technology has changed uh, talk radio? Because in the old days, say you want to talk about the 27 Yankees, you get 20 phone calls, everybody would give their little bit and piece of it, you know? Now you just have Chris Stanley type in 27 Yankees, everything's at your fingertips. Yeah, there was a, there was actual case today where he beat the caller to the thing, and that would set up the thing of, is the is the purpose of talk radio... Information or conversation. That's things that people would normally have if they were interested. And it's conversation. I would not say that a hundred percent. That would be something to start with. But it's good to have a snap decision. Jeff in New Orleans, you're on the run for show. Well, Ronnie, I can tell you as a sports talk host, we absolutely do not have the same level phone calls and conversation we did now that we used to 10 years ago. I mean, it's not even close. And it um, used to be really fun, right? To Yeah. You know? You had interaction. It was like a third host, you know? It was, right. You had a third host jumping in every, every five to seven minutes, and now you don't get that anymore. You've got to be prepared to just gut it out because they're listening still, but they're just not interacting. Not well, that way. We get tons of tweets. But so, Jeff, what do you think that they expect out of you now that they didn't expect 10 years ago? Uh, much more entertainment, brevity. Uh, you better be snide because that's more the generation now. Yeah. You know, you got to have something quippy to say. And if you start getting into the, the minutiae, you know, it's, it's a tune out now. It's just the way it is. Uh- I, I want to hop into this with you, but I got Chelsea Peretti ready. Uh, no, go ahead. Uh, ready to go, so let's jump into that. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine airs Sundays on Fox 830. Chelsea's new stand-up special, One of the Greats, now available on Netflix. And the Twitter, of course, is at Chelsea V. Peretti. Um, but Neil got nervous that I didn't give out his... Uh, thing, huh? He yeah. likes to have a lot of Twitter. Yeah, he loves Twitter. At Neil Tyson. Weird. Uh, well, let's bring in at Chelsea V. Peretti. Grace has just stopped into the studio with us, Chelsea Peretti. How are you? Great. How are you? Well, this is the perfect time to be Chelsea Peretti. Everything's going fantastic for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sounds enticing how you've put it. You don't have a bad day anymore. Every every second of every day is just like Jennifer Aniston's. That's the way I'm picturing it. Um, I want you to believe in this and have this dream. <laughs> I think if you know if you if you want to, you can find a bad day in any type of circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens. I think when things start going, like if you're Oprah, and you find out, I don't know, like the mint didn't get put exactly on the pillow where she wanted. Like some perfect shampoo didn't end up where. Then everything's screwed up. Like you, like you missed the Mastercard payment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
That's probably true. I, I would hope to um, be inside Oprah's house someday. <laughs> <laughs> houses, many, yeah. many houses. One of them. The uh, you've got this uh, special uh, is now on Netflix, which I still try to wrap my head around it because I don't know whether it's a special or a parody of a special mm. or mm. the last special that anyone will ever do because now it will look lame. It might be my last special. <laughs> yeah. I've been feeling really lackadaisical. I like to just lay around on my couch and stuff. So I also, it seems like it would be cool to just have one special. And that'll be the end of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then just ride off into the sunset. It would, be, this would be a great list to make of people who've only done one yeah. special. Yes, you guys have the capacity to do that. Yes, we're ready. We'll get the entire bang on it. Everything will start moving <laughs> as we speak. There's, it's already happening. Yeah, it's in the works. Journalists are running yeah, and screaming. Old typewriters. Yeah, yeah clacking. It's the way they move when they know like a nine eleven attack has happened and everybody's off. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good light reference. But yeah, it is. <laughs> I like to put it in at least once yeah, a day, just to make sure everyone's awake. <laughs> yeah, because. You know, hey. France yesterday. I know. It's you know. so horrible. I mean, I was just there. And so, I don't know. It's just so surreal to look at these photos. I, I mean, I've been reading too much of the news. It's it's so sad. The news. I had two nightmares last night. Uh, about that one in particular or other I, stuff? I think just related. Yeah, yeah. it's just dark. I just say, uh, I, you know, I have... I, I have trouble. I feel like I need to read every article ever written to really have an intelligent opinion or take on these kinds of things. And, you know, but at the same time, you feel like you don't want to say nothing about them, but I don't want to, you know, I don't know. It's a See, that's what's happened to us today. You get more news brought to you than Walter Cronkite did on any day of his life. You know what I mean? Like Walter Cronkite might go, all right, there's four stories out there. Right. But I get an email from a friend of mine from when I used to live in Florida and there was this bridge near my house and he goes, look, this guy threw his five-year-old kid off the bridge. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Why do I? It's always those stories too and I feel like humans, I feel like your desire to look at those kinds of stories is like, could it have been prevented? Like, what would I do if I was there? How would I save my kid or my family or this or that? And it's like, you know, the problem is there's no answer. You know, it's just yeah. the question over and over. So it becomes just incredibly stressful. And it's a sickness after yeah. a while. Like, I, I think that, that the thing serial, this podcast is a national sickness. For, I haven't listened to it. Yeah, yeah. I won't either. Um, and I don't watch the. Well, I the, didn't say I won't, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm but not I don't taking watch a hard those stance. shows that uh, I go, that they'll run with. I don't know. It's Dateline or something where we're solving a girl getting murdered every week. Yeah, I don't know what happened. You know? No, I yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I do watch Lock Up, which is. I guess in that genre, but I don't know. I I think for me, like, you know, if I'm on the side of a mountain, I always want to jump off it. There's something about me that's just like... I, I'm I'm always obsessed with like bear attacks and you know those kinds of things. So like, if someone's gonna put an article in yeah. front of me, I'm gonna read it. But then I don't know if it is is helping me be a, a better person or not. I think I think it's almost like. Have you ever like somebody who comes in and they're like, "Oh, I've got this illness," and people start to ask, and it's not that they're. What'd you do to get it? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Ha- like, and you know what they're basically saying is, "How do I not end up yes. like you?" Yes, you know. Yeah. 
Were you eating? Did you live near a power plant? (laughs) Uh, Did you eat a lot of veggies? What are you doing? You don't wash your vegetables, do you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Bye. Good luck. Good luck. So you got the the Brooklyn Nine Nine Two, which is to me what I like about it's like an old school show where there's like. All the characters are rocking. All the jokes are there. It's almost like people forgot to do that kind of TV. You know, it's um, it takes us back a long way. Like it's a very traditional show. Yeah. Even though the, the humor is fresh, but the formatics of the way we move forward in that show. Yeah, I know that uh, the creators, Mike and Dan, I know that they love Cheers. Like, I know that they're yeah. real students of television, and I, I definitely have had people describe it as sort of a throwback feeling to it. But it also has a a new feeling, too. I don't know. Yeah, I think they've they've captured a little of... Of both. Well, it went back to, I think, like when you bring up Cheers or Mary Tyler Moore, where there was only so many shows, so people were like even more dependent upon yeah. them, you know? Yeah. Almost as like, these are my friends now. Mm-hmm. Now I have friends. Because the, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, of just breaking stuff down that used to exist, so that when something comes out and has that kind of solid feel, it almost feels shockingly different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, is it fun to shoot the show, or is it a, is it a grind? Uh, it's both. You know, yeah. we have long hours. Single camera shows have long hours, and mm-hmm. and we definitely do. But I guess we're there's people who have even longer hours, so we're we're doing pretty good. Um, it's fun. You know, it, our cast gets along yeah. really well, and and so. There's no duds. There's no one who's like a bummer to be in scenes with. It's always no, exciting. There's no weak, yeah, there's no weak links. Yeah, they switch it up a lot, like the different pairings or groups. And so you're always like, oh, this will be cool. Like, you know, you get to work with different people. And, and so it, it's really, uh, it's a great job. How much of that is your personality, though? How much did they build some of this around you? Of Yeah, well, I was in the writer's room at Parks and Rec with Mike yeah. and Dan, and so they definitely are familiar with, you know, some of my personality. Um, yeah. uh, so there's definitely parts of me in it. I think that I can be little quieter perhaps and more heady and <laughs> more withdrawn <laughs> at times than my character is who who's um tends to be pretty uh, upbeat like I'll do sometimes I'll try to be more dramatic or deadpan or something and like a director will be like can you do it again and like underline every word and I'm like okay I'll do it uh, I'll be big yeah um so but yeah there's definite similarities, uh, for sure. Parks and Rec ending this year too, which is strange. You yeah, know what I mean that the, the fact that that that's another show that I don't know if there's ever any weak links on that show. Yeah, everybody broke out and had, you know, everybody that's done that show is going to be so much better off for having done it, and it doesn't happen with a lot of shows. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. when Laverne and Shirley ended, like th- at least three of them went, oh shit, you know, this, this, this is going to keep me stuck here. But yeah, I think when you have a strong ensemble, like, you know, friends, everyone's doing pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody's doing good from friends. I've been watching the comeback, so I'm like, you know, I, I think that's such a cool chapter for Lisa Kudrow. I think it's so good. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when you have a strong people who could really stand on their own two feet and you put them all together, 
hopefully yeah. the chances are good for after the show. Now, when you watch uh, Lisa Kudrow in that show, mm-hmm. do you feel bad for her or do you yeah. feel... Yeah, you do. Uh, but you also feel like, oh, you know, she really doesn't pick sides. Everyone, you know, she shows the strengths and weaknesses, I think, of everyone around and and including herself. And, um, you know, I always watch when I'm watching it, I'm wondering, what is she experienced what is her experience of hollywood because she's got clearly so many great targets in it well also that thing of it makes you feel bad for wanting things like you you know like somehow wanting things you're a diva (laughs) yes is a weakness yeah like why i mean every other business you want to have success but what is it about show business that that moment that you say boy i want to achieve these things everyone's like do you really yeah well, I think that people are not very sympathetic to actors. I think that even though everyone loves being entertained by them, they kind of yeah. hate them and, and don't respect their their lifestyle in a way or, you know, so. It's but. a strange thing of when you really think of like the gossip industry, which has been around since, you know, 100 years at least. They really focus on actors more than sports stars, more than even politicians. It's actors who always get 90% of the heat, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, to be fair, actors a lot of times are stupid and say stupid things. Right. (laughs) And then when you combine that with having like sizable income, like I understand it, but it's, you know, there's like with anything there's exceptions i think and see that's the thing i think that you could never be like a uh limited to that because you you've written you have stand up you have you brought your own thing to it but to kind of be a good actor you um, you have to stay somewhat empty you know so when a lot of people come in here a director will have all these thoughts about a, a movie and the writer will have all the, yeah but when an actor comes in sometimes he's like well I, you know I've met a couple of guys that did movies that I, I'm pretty sure had no idea what the movie was about. <laughs> and yet they did fine in that movie. Right. But they didn't think about the things that everybody else was thinking See, about. See, I want that. That sounds incredible. Yeah. It just feels like I would sleep so much better. <laughs> you know? You have, you're a rough sleeper? Is it tough for you at night? Not always. But, yeah. you know, I think if you get in your head, it's hard to relax sometimes. And how's the success for that, though? Does that come anything? It, it helps. Yeah, it's harder to be struggling and be heady. I think. Right. I don't know, but everything, everything is has its pros and cons. Yeah. What made you put your special together this way, where you, like I said, you the, there's so many different levels working in yeah. the special. Um, I just wanted. You know, I watched stand-up specials and I felt like, and they are, technically they are largely produced by a few production companies Mm -hmm. and they're all shot the same way. In fact, you know, when I did my half hour at Comedy Central, they they shoot two at the same time. You know, like a lot of times, like, they have this kind of very singular look and vibe because they're literally produced by the same people over and over and they don't change things that much. So... I just wanted it to feel like my own and have a little more of my own perspective, even in the way it was shot and the way it was produced. And um, 
I always hated watching specials and the reaction shots in the audience never fit. You know, like yeah. it would be someone laughing at a different joke and you can tell or, <laughs> yeah. you know, someone looking confused or someone talking to their friend and you're going, why are they using this? There's got to be something better, you know, and it's like, I think that, you know, it's just this weird thing that's become uh uh, <laughs> that's become a trope that people accept, and so editors just throw in whatever and and pe- right. keep it moving. Well, you know, uh, Attell's last special and then Bobby Kelly's special, they went back to the clubs, which again now looks so different. Yeah, because we're so used to that theater shot, and then for some reason that right. swinging camera right. over everything, like isn't this grand? Yeah, you know? but you know that's why Zach Galifianakis, that purple onion, yeah. Live at the purple onion like that has such a great look and it, it it's i feel like the quest of the hour is always how do you reproduce the actual experience of a comedy club or how do you reproduce yeah. the experience of a live show and it's really hard to do that when you have this gloss and this glitz and this you know people if you're performing in theaters regularly then shooting your special might be the natural thing but i definitely think it makes sense to me that people are like i'm gonna shoot in a club you know yeah. and it'll it'll be more authentic in some way you're right about the purple onion too because like if you go back to the original comedy albums they were always done really underground yeah you know mm-hmm. and you go back and you're like who were the people that, even in the audience to me always seemed like they must be so hip to know where right. this is at yeah. you know what i mean yeah like, you envy the audience in that versus <laughs> like a theater you're like they bought these audience members right. and shipped them in you <laughs> yeah. know, from some tourist attraction or something yeah you're doing uh dave Tonight, are you doing Dave Letterman tonight, or you got? Yeah, have you done the show before? I have not. So, what's that like for you? Well, it's like a. I'm very excited. I was like, you know, I'm just like I don't even know the word. I'm I'm touched, kind of, to be able to do it before he retires. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to handle that because I remember when Carson uh, tapped out, yeah. and that really felt like. A king stepping down. Yeah. And this feels like it again to me. I know, I know. It's just, culture just constantly is born and dies, and it's weird to be a part of it. And uh, especially because when you're a teenager, everything's new and you think it's all the first time and you you don't know better. And then you see, okay, Lady Gaga has a song that sounds exactly like Madonna, and these kids don't even know it, you know, or whatever. And then you just see people go from being young to being old on camera, and it's just a strange. It, it makes you think about your own mortality. It's, uh, no one ever says that. That's the. the uh, I'm swear to God, I'm blown away that you said that because now I can wrap this up because it's been driving me crazy. It's like I remember when Dave came on. I remember when he was the guy. Yeah, he changed the way people even talk. Yeah, on television, and yet it gets done so much that people don't go back and remember that. Yeah, you know. But no one used to act like their show was smaller than life. Everybody, right? You know, like the variety shows of the 70s they would be in a little studio but it was all grand and there was girls with feathers and then he was the guy who was like oh we got this crummy show I got some guests I don't even think they're here yet (laughs) and now if you watch like ESPN or even a weather guy on TV or listen to guys on the radio everyone just talks that way as if that makes sense to do Yeah, but one guy thought of that Yeah, you know and you're going to be 
there for that. Now you're part of it. You're Don't build it up too much. This no. is starting to get really stressful. I'm tonight. I'm going to be so nervous watching it and oh, make God. sure you pull it off. I know. But me you know, too. even walking in that building, yeah. you know, when you talk about show business history. You know, that's where the the Beatles played. That's oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pass out yeah. right now. <laughs> Do you know what you're going to talk about yet? Have you? Figured yeah, I mean, it out? you know, have some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I, I think is I think that's super cool, particularly now. Like if this would have happened for you five years ago, you might not have taken this moment to think, "Hey, this is, you know, it's a cool thing to be part of this." <laughs> I think I would have much more so five years ago. Really? Well, I mean, I do now, but yeah, yeah five years ago, I would be like, "Did they make a mistake?" I mean, I already yeah. feel that way now. But um, yeah, no, it's a huge thing. I'm so excited and and moved to be able to do it. Well, uh, thank you so much for stepping by here. Thanks for having me. And it's really cool. These uh, things are happening for you, too. You know? Thank you. You've, uh, you've been you know, swinging at everything, and it's, it's cool to see it paying off. Tonight? <laughs> swinging at everything. Tonight? <laughs> That'll be my next special title. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, tonight, Letterman. Oof. Tomorrow? Oof. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Chelsea Pretty, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hit. Channel 99. Jeffrey Gurian coming into the room with us. Jeffrey, good to see you, buddy. Hey, good to see you too, Ron. Happy holidays. To, happy New Year to everybody. Jeffrey, who'd you bring with you today? Wow. My guest today is so unusual. Not a comedian, by the way. Not, but funny. Very funny. But if you've ever listened to any music since about 1975... If you've ever, I made a list. If you've ever listened to the Allman Brothers, Alice Cooper, George Harrison, John Lennon, Rod Stewart, Blondie Lou Reed, Jimmy Page, you've heard a musician that this guy has represented. It's the legendary Johnny Podell is here with me. Johnny Podell, Johnny Podell. in the music business is an absolute <laughs> legend. Good to see you, my friend. 
Uh, thank you. Thanks you, for the intro. You know, the, the beauty of it is I believe everybody has a story. That if you work in the music business, you have done enough things that were, you know, just changing the way that the business is done. And then you've done enough things to become infamous for. So in the beauty of the sex and drugs and rock and roll, you had a chance to experience them all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel more comfortable actually with the adjective infamous <laughs> yeah. or notorious than yeah. I do legendary. <laughs> legendary, well, I don't know. How does somebody become legendary? Well, did you not? Uh, were you not behind the the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young tour? Yeah. The first oh, that yeah. to me was yeah. the tour yeah. that was like, oh, Woodstock is touring. Yeah. You know, so you know when I go out, when I, when you look up now and you see stadium tours, I believe that was the first yeah. one that had that yeah. excitement level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes you a legend, my friend. Oh, yeah. Wow, could I have a better chair? <laughs> yeah, you really can. <laughs> Shouldn't that be in a nicer studio? You should be in a, Don't you have a legendary studio <laughs> yeah. instead of this place? <laughs> we should have a throne. Yeah, a throne is what I meant. A throne. Yeah. Don't you have a throne? Yeah. How how does yeah, it's one in the bathroom. how does one do what you're you know, because the the thing about rock and roll, it's always move fast, it always changes quick. You know, somebody's a star one day, the next day people aren't buying their records. So how were you able to jump into that? business and make it work for you man well i'm not really sure of the question well the, the question a, is that's a great mustache a two-tone mustache it is i well, saw that before fez has uh what was the disease that you had fez vitiligo vitiligo oh i'm so sorry no it, yeah I, I know what that is i yeah. didn't mean to poke fun I just <laughs> it's a disease saw. mustache you're pointing <laughs> no, out I, I i'm actually i just put my foot in my mouth I'm no really no sorry. He, he had it coming okay sorry so how i got into it yeah which i don't think has anything to do with Artists coming and going. Yeah, because you asked both. I well, I, I mean, you. How do you know? Like, obviously, you had the the, the Almond Brothers yeah. first. But how do you know the Almond Brothers are going to be a band that's going to stay forever, or whether or not it's a, a band that comes and goes? You know, the truth. Yeah, no clue. No clue at all. No clue. Know what they seemed like. Yeah. Know what I felt, but knowing something will last forever. I don't think Frank Sinatra's people knew. Elton John's people knew. Yeah. You knew it was it. But, you know, I, I don't even know if anybody ever thinks like that. Like, if you were this artist and I signed you and I came home to my wife, I said, oh, my God, I've seen it. It's been 20 years since I saw it. This guy, Ronnie, kills. But I wouldn't be thinking, oh, I'll bet you in 40 years I'll still, you know, yeah. what I mean? I just the thought process isn't like that. But how do you know? Well, you know, it's funny. In, in the world of spirituality, this, they say, when you know, you know. That mm -hmm. happens rarely, and it's happened rarely in, in my career. More often than not, it's what turned me on at the beginning, because I had no frame of reference when I was 23. And then going forward, it's what turned me on, and also kind of having experienced what is turning people on. Mm -hmm. So the combination. But I usually went... Because I wasn't so much in the pop business, right. the, the single business. So for me, it was what really moved me. And for the most part, if it moved me live, yeah, live, uh, you know what I mean? I think I have a charisma detector. 
You know, you can pick up when it's working. I mean, I, if I have anything, it may be that you know, I can I can feel, or I've had a certain amount of success feeling a live performance in me and just being like turned on like i just had an orgasm or something i love uh, i mean to me out of all the rock and roll stories the fact that the allman brothers this southern rock band and when there really hasn't been this thing as southern rock really embraced in new york city on the lower east side i mean talk about shit that doesn't even make sense and these guys show it up there and that to me changed American music and the fact that you were you were there for all that. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean they definitely were changing. Multiracial band. Right, multiracial never from the South. Never happened. Playing jazz, fusion, rock. You know, it was just um mostly instrument. I don't really even know the adjectives, but clearly they changed things. I guess their thing, they they were, I guess, the originators of making the jam popular. Right. Maybe that's it, right? Yeah, Isn't it that? didn't really exist before yeah. them. And they were the first... Like, you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. I went to see them, and I really didn't know much. I wasn't a musician that failed like a lot of people in the music business, nor was I somebody overly passionate. I love music. It's the soundtrack yeah. of all our lives. So somebody takes me to see the Allman Brothers, but I was so unenlightened. First, I thought I was going to see the Osmond Brothers. <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah. that I really, really wasn't that like, I don't even know how I got in this game. And then I go, and I'm hearing this music, and there were six guys, and it looked like the guy, the really handsome blonde guy at the keyboards was singing. But what I heard was a black voice. So I remember exactly where it was. It was a club called Angano, 75th, I think, in Broadway. I remember Angano's, yeah. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I keep looking for a black guy. Then I say, oh, there's a black guy in the group. He must be singing. <laughs> this guy's just <laughs> mouthing. <laughs> and I look, but that's the drummer, and he didn't have a mic. So that took me about 45 minutes of the show just to realize that a white guy is singing black music. I, 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 it yeah. was confusing at first, and it took me a while to warm up to them. That wasn't an instant thing. That wasn't an instant no, thing. No, no, you no, had no, to no. hang out with it for Our a while. careers grew together. I really didn't know that much about music. They obviously were music. Right. And I learned from them. And I guess in other ways, they learned from me. And yeah. It was a perfect marriage that really lasted 45 years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And that of course, Alice Cooper at that time, another group that... Probably somebody who would know more would say, that guy can't make it. This thing is just too off the rails. Yeah, no, I'll tell you. Yeah. I got a letter. My closest friend was Bill Graham. Wow. Bill Graham basically created the business of rock and roll. Yeah. Was the owner of the Fillmore East and West, for those of us that remember, and for the younger ones, maybe they've read about it. And Bill loved the Allman Brothers. He said it was going to be the number one band in America, which kept me motivated because I knew he knew. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I knew. And uh, when I signed Alice Cooper, I got a letter. It was such a crazy letter. <laughs> Dear Johnny, you know, uh, from the minute we met, it was love. 
And with you representing the Allman Brothers, I automatically respected you and everything you did. Now you've signed Alice Cooper. It's over. I have absolutely <laughs> no respect for you. <laughs> and then he described him with words like pus, shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say yeah, that. You can't say anything. Pus, shit. I mean, and a few vomit. And yeah. I remember reading it and like I was scared. This was my mentor and best friend. Hated them. And the story of them was literally when their manager came to me, I said, no. Oh, like nobody comes to see them. He goes, I'll give you even better. He said, and the few that come, leave. It's not even apathy. It's hate. So I said, so what are you doing here? He goes, hate and love are just the opposite side of the same coin. Just like a fastball comes in at 60 miles an hour. If you connect, it goes out at 100. I need you to turn this hate into love. I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> but I went home, and that's really what I did. But that is what happened, like, within a couple of years. That this thing... Yeah. You know, started... He, yeah. Yeah. It happened, it happened in... It happened in less than three years. In less than three years, it goes from he can't draw anybody until... Uh, you know the biggest act in the country Philly at the time. Stadium, By yeah. the way, I went back and listened to some of those early albums again just recently, and they're great. You know what I mean? Like there was really that rock and roll band, his band that he started off with, which which is just the whole band. I think was Alice Cooper at one point, but that was really a great rock and roll band. Mm -hmm. You know, and that really pre glam punk. It's amazing how it's all connected. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing how much of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What I really, when I went to see Alice, what I liked was a little different. I went backstage to Detroit. The manager was very smart. Uh -huh. He took me to see him in Detroit because every other city drew 12 people. Right. In Detroit, he was a co-headlining with Steppenwolf in a big arena. And again, I was green, green, green. I lived home till I was 21. Green, <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody offered me a joint in my senior year at Baruch, and I went home and I told my mother, there were junkies in the store, man, I'm green. <laughs> so now I'm in the music business, 30 seconds, and I go to see this band that I don't want to go. I mean, they're disgusting. And I come, and... First, I see 15,000 people screaming. He's hanging himself. He's electrocuting himself. There's feathers blowing around. He's wearing makeup. He's wearing high heels. And I just, the crowd, I go, holy crap. If this can happen here, it can happen anywhere. But what closed the deal is I went backstage and I had never seen the, quote, groupie phenomenon yet. And I go backstage and there's these all these young girls and they're all looking really sexy <laughs> and maybe a little over sexy for their age. And I remember I said... Yeah, this, yeah, I love this band. This is, yeah. <laughs> I love this band. I'm going to commit my guy, heart right? and soul to yeah. this band. <laughs> Rock and roll is not all about music. Yeah. It's not all about music. But yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle. Been, grabbing that whole scene together. And by the way, the manager you're talking about is Shep. Yeah, Shep yeah brilliant Gordon, manager. Uh, the, you know, the documentary is out yeah. on him right now. Yeah. I actually went with him to the opening. He invited me to the opening. It was great. Well, you guys have that thing in common that it, it's very tough to... You know, when, when picking talent to bring in is street guys that can pick up on what seems to be going on. You know, on. street guys, street guys, it is what do they used to call it? The University of Hard Knocks. You'd say yeah. to somebody, but it really is true. David Geffen, Bronx, you know, mm -hmm. street guy. I mean, a plain guy. 
Johnny put out Bronx and four people born in a no bedroom apartment, you know, yeah. in the Bronx. Um, Shep, I think Buffalo, but really from nothing. Jay Z's the most best example. A street drug dealer who, to his uh, good fortune and all of ours now, I guess he didn't make the one fatal mistake of drug dealers, which is trying your own mm -hmm. uh, goods. And he learned from the streets, and look at what he's applied from a business point of view. Yeah. So I sometimes wonder, is the Harvard MBA any better than the street scene? Not everybody lives right, in the yeah. street scene. But you and usually you live through Harvard, but yeah. if you make it, street's a pretty good place to get an education. Well, the thing is, too, and I mean, I never we never go after these kids, but if you can sell crack, can you sell iPads? If you're, if you're a no, no, guy that's who what can I'm saying. move it. Yeah. That's what if I'm you're saying. a guy who can move it, yeah. let's just put the you know a product into their hands. Yeah, yeah, no. You know? No, the, the whole drug scene is the most inventive. The, the addicts, well, they're so inventive with the lies, the excuses, the moves, right. the thing that to get what their body needs and the dealers to find the customer stay out of trouble one step away from the. I mean, there's so much genius there, but like I said, it's yeah. on the dark side. No, it's very, very dark. And not all of us come out of it in the light. I was very fortunate. Yeah. Very fortunate. Well, you, of course, uh, you went about as dark as you could. Dark as you could go. As, you as can dark. Go. I am, you know, I'm a recovering drug addict. I make no bones about it. You know, it's been a very big part of my life. Painful. But I am the man I am today because of that. So in a way, you're almost thankful. Not almost thankful. Yeah. I am the most grateful person. I am actually one of the most grateful people that I've ever meet, uh, met. Yeah. yeah. Gratitude is, I don't go a day without being grateful. And right. oftentimes in a day, I can be grateful, like consciously grateful six, eight times a day. Like today, I went out, I'm going to the gym, I'm wearing those little skinny gym pants, no <laughs> socks, sneakers, and it hits me and I, I'm all of a hundred and like, you know, 25 pounds. <laughs> and I go, burr, and most people, the first thing out of their mouth, oh shit. And I look up and I go, God, thank you. I can feel everything about it. So I'm really right. grateful moment to moment. Yeah, and service too, man. You do a lot of service. I do a lot of so I'm leaving right from here too. Um, I every Thursday I go to the old, not old, but the drug rehab that I went to in Connecticut when I relapsed a few years ago. They saved my life, and I committed myself to dedicate my life to them. And then, so I go back every Thursday and I spend six hours with the patients. And then there I learned mm -hmm. three things spoke to me, three things like a trilogy, and those three things changed my life. And I came out the other side uh, making a choice, although I think God made the choice for me to dedicate the rest of my life to service. Do you want to hear what the three things were? Yeah. So I'm watching this movie, Happy. Jeff, you're all yeah. about happy. Right. And it's a great documentary you know, about what makes people happy. And a line in the movie said, God's given you this life, and I knew it, said Johnny, and now it's time to pay it back with interest. And then two weeks later... I heard a quote from my lifetime idol, Muhammad Ali, and his was, service to others is our rent for being on the planet. Mm. And the third part of the trilogy that changed my life was Piers Morgan interviewing Tyler Perry, 2012. Tyler, so you're the number one earner in the show business. What does it mean? How much you make? A hundred million? Five? You know, what's Tyler going to say? He gets a little flustered. He goes, look, I, I, I'm not going to say I don't know. 
What I will say is to whom much is given, much is required. And at that moment, my life turned around, boom, like I walked into the literally white light experience and I knew the rest of my life would be dedicated to serving. And that's what I do and that's what, that's what I do. Well, that's, that's the thing. You were blessed with so much early in life. You were with the people, the most creative people mm-hmm. on the planet yes. you were with. Yes. You were making incredible money. You were partying. Everything was great. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, when you say to, to a kid, that doesn't leave the happiness. It's a tough thing to pull off. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's the difference between the world I'm in now, between being conscious and unconscious. Yeah. If you're unconscious, which is most of us, going right. about your life, oh, I got to go to work, or it's Ron and Fezzo, we got to be there at two, Johnny's coming in, Jeff's coming, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. totally unconscious all day. Oh, we got not even something to think why you're doing anything. Like Ron and Fez, what would you do? If nobody cared what you did. Good question yeah. for all of us, right? So not stopping to think any of that and let, yeah, there I was, 25 years old, like as Leonardo DiCaprio. I felt like king of the world. Right, sure. I felt like king of the world. My limousine, I used to travel to limousine and I'd have a limousine follow. <laughs> in case I ran into you at a club, I wouldn't want you to sit with me, <laughs> right. but I would give you a ride. At the second level. So I'm living this whole life, and yeah, I was so unconscious. I don't know if there's levels of unconscious. You know, it's really fun. I'll tell you a funny story. We're born conscious. We're mm-hmm. born conscious. Yeah. Even those little imaginary friends, you know, that some kids have, mm-hmm. they're not imaginary. We're born conscious. We then quickly, due to our parents' environment, become unconscious. Mm-hmm. So then, three years ago, I became conscious. And right before I came here, and I should have said that before the interview, mm-hmm. I had to go to the dentist where I had nitrous oxide and Novocaine, and now I'm unconscious again. <laughs> so uh, if I'm not making perfect sense, I apologize. And if I'm making sense, it's a miracle. Well, you know, I, I would say this, though, about being conscious. If you're not prepared for it, it's scary and it's heady. You know what I mean? Like most of the time that you're like totally conscious means that there's a bus coming at you. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I do think that a lot of, uh, addicts live on the edge because it feels like alive. Oh, the cops are coming for me. Oh, this fucking crazy chick is coming over and she's bringing another, you know, all that stuff makes you feel alive. But the fact of the matter is I think we're still f- running away from that other feeling of of really being You know what alive. I think? Yeah. Uh, no, that, that's good. I want to think about that even yeah. on my drive up to Connecticut today. But being a veteran of the drug yeah. thing and now the spiritual thing, I think that everybody in the world shares one thing other than that we are all brothers, you know, which nobody seems to remember, you know, that we're we're same, not different. It's about oneness. Nobody thinks that's true. But I think even the addicts and alcoholics, you know, we were all searching. I believe everybody's searching for one thing. And that one thing is spiritual light. Mm -hmm. You may search for it by money. Oh, my God, if I get that limo and the condo and the penthouse and the girl and the vacation in Maui, whatever, that to you represents that. But the that we're all looking for on a conscious level is spiritual light. We want peace. 
Mm. We want happiness. Happiness and comfort. You know, and so I, and some people think the addicts and alcoholics have like, you know, the exclusive on searching because we were all drunk. I don't know about that, but I do believe that everybody is searching and we all have our own paths. But I believe this generation more than any, you know, I'm going to tell you quickly, mm-hmm. I don't, don't want to hijack the interview. I don't want to hijack the interview, you know. So I was, my life in this music started, you know, at the same time as the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And, you know, we were all about mm-hmm. saving the world and civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and our heroes were Martin Luther King and JFK. And our battle cry was... Make love, no war. Make love, not war. Turn on and drop out. And the fuel was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, and we met well. Kent State, we we, it was disgusting, and we met well, but we weren't conscious. I'm here today to help lead this new movement because the young people of today, more of them, young, conscious, early, early. So what I saw in my life so far. The soundtrack of my lives, and it looks like we're all peers somewhat Mm age-wise, the soundtrack of our lives, if I can speak for us, was rock and roll. Yes. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack for our children's lives, for those of us that have children, I do, two adult children, is technology. If you ask most kids, if they had to choose, music or the phone, (laughs) they're taking the phone. Right. So the soundtrack to our lives was rock and roll the soundtrack to our children's lives is technology and the soundtrack for the new young generation is consciousness and that's why i say consciousness is the new rock and roll and if i could be so bold to predict i think within four years they'll be at a stadium whether it's the olympics in brazil in two years or somewhere else and you'll hear one kid say to another, oh my god you see who's coming august 13th and it won't be the bold face rock star names it'll be a consciousness event a consciousness band right i i mean these people are really searching and seeking they want what we didn't even know about mm-hmm. uh and i just want to remind the people Listening. If if I was saying this, listening to this just from a business point of view, Johnny has been on the forefront of when things change all the time. So for it, it'd be one thing if it was just a spiritual person to say, oh, I, I think there's a, an, an age of enlightenment. But there's another thing when I hear a guy who's got his ear... To the to the streets wow. for a long, long time, saying that. So I, I find that amazing. That now, now let me ask you this: Do you think the rock and roll led to the technology, which is leading to the spirituality? Do you think that that's a track where these are all on different things? Don't know. I yeah. know that Steve Jobs mm-hmm. had a foot in all the worlds, right? Um, if I'm not mistaken, you ever, by the way, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you see your phone light up yeah. and like, you know, I'm not so technology mm-hmm. person. So I thought, oh my God, who's calling 4.30 in the morning? I found out that's when Apple uploads. That's also the most powerful hour for meditation. That's when the monks in Tibet meditate. And then I researched and I found that Steve Jobs, uh, studied and meditated in India for 11 years. So I don't know what to make of all that. Yeah. But one thing is clearly, you know, it's evolution. 
I just want to add one thing. I yeah. think rock and roll led to the drugs that led to the search for spirituality. Rock and roll was a... Uh, if you were into rock, usually you were into getting high mm -hmm. to expand your consciousness in those days. And it was really a search. Thoreau once said, show me an alcoholic and I'll show you a man in search of God. And I feel that that applied to so many people, searching for that spirituality. Well, you know, when Johnny was talking to that, I remember, you know, because I grew up like a Catholic kid where I went to church and all that. But the real first connection I ever felt, the real first I'm part of all this was at rock and roll shows where mm -hmm. I felt Absolutely. I'm sharing this tribal moment with more people and we're looking around at each other and we're like, this feels higher mm -hmm. than what I thought life and could then, be. I was at Woodstock. Yeah. I got that feeling. And then Woodstock afterwards, was, yeah. that first time you got high, high, right. usually on some kind of psychedelics, right. mescaline, peyote, you know, LSD, of course, yeah. now ayahuasca, you also felt it. But what I'm going to circle back now to yeah. the question you asked a few minutes ago. Yeah. But how do you sell this, Johnny? <laughs> how do you tell these kid at 19 getting out of college or getting out of high school that, oh, it's not about, you know, the, the limousines and the lifestyle? How do, I don't know. Yeah. But some of them and a great, I'm telling you, I can't believe how many. I thought I could help lead this movement. I'm not sure I'm not following it. Mm -hmm. They're moving so fast in consciousness, it's crazy. So I hear what you're saying. How do you sell it? Well, I think it's just going to be a groundswell, and I think it's happening geometrically mm -hmm. as opposed to in arithmetic time. And uh, I do believe this. Four years from now, you will say consciousness is the new rock and roll, and consciousness will be the language. And the children of our children are growing up, you know, intuitive, psychic, mm -hmm. clairaudient, clairsentient, what is it? Mm. Clairvoyant. All yeah. those things, and they're going to know that the imaginary friend is not imaginary. I know that's a little far out there. But. No, no, you know what? I mean, I say put it out there, you know? If that's where you're at right now, put it out there. Yeah. And it, and can I say one yeah. more thing? So I got to tell you this. So I have specialized in mm. being high. Specialized, right? It's documented. Yeah. I can't even escape it. Those stupid articles, right? New York Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magazine. I know, I know, I know. I got to figure out how to erase from Google. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my kids wanted to so bad erase that article, you know? And uh, so I know what high is. I've had moments since my spiritual awakening where I've been without anything, without a Tylenol, without anything. And I have felt that nirvana moment that you might have felt at Woodstock, that you might have felt on LSD. It is there for all of us. The other stuff are shortcuts. And, yeah. you know, human nature is about shortcuts. But I'm telling you, it's there and it felt as exciting. It felt as high. It felt as sexy. And... um Anyway, that's the end of that speech. Well, Johnny, let me ask you this. How do people start and get into some of this if they're, if they're listening right now and they're saying uh, it's a little overwhelming? Yeah. And it is to Very. the, you know. Very. Uh, how do they start to dip a toe in? How do they start to figure out some of this? Well, rather than give instruction, because I'm like more of a student than a uh, teacher. I'm really new at this. I would tell you how the journey started for me. Very okay. simply with meditation. Boom. The world opened up. And meditation, it can be a minute the first time. Anybody, 
is, you know, the first thing people say, oh, I don't have time for it. Well, the other is, oh, my brain never stops moving. And I always laugh and go, yeah, that's why you need to meditate. Right. And you don't have to do the 20 minutes right away. And you don't have to go, mm, and you don't have to light incense. Or you can. You don't have to sit cross-legged in front of a Buddha. Or you can. Close your eyes. And if your monkey mind is all over the place, that's fine. And then after a while, you'll feel comfortable with that minute. And this is what I did. Yeah. And then I expanded to two minutes. And then I did that for a few days. I really did it slow. So I never had a period of discomfort. And I got to 20 minutes a day. And then I studied TM, Transcendental Meditation, through the David Lynch Foundation. And now I do it twice a day for 20 minutes. Changed my life. I'm less reactive. So my thing started with meditation. It opened up. All of a sudden, new people came into my life. Like, if you're not conscious, you go, well, how did that happen? I didn't do anything. I still dressed the same. Still told the same bad jokes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Still walked as fast or as slow. Everything opened. So that is a great way. Yeah. Another way for somebody really sitting here listening and go, huh, sounds interesting, but where can I go? Like, in Google or anything? I mean, you could start out by just going to our website. We, we have... We... I have transitioning my business from music to now representing some of the most cutting-edge healers and teachers. And I'd say a beginner could come onto our website and get the feel and see the events we're doing and come here, come there, don't get this book, don't. And you're right, it should be gentle because it sounds overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody could have sold this to me. Right. Nobody could have. You had to come to it on your own. I had to come to ready, it on my own. Ready. Yeah. 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 But, but it would be, you to meditate? wouldn't it be great to get to that point without fucking hitting the wall of addiction? You're like, wouldn't it be great for a kid yeah. to just bypass But I think that's what's happening now, Ron. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You got to go and see some of these kids they're talking yeah. i can't even keep up with them they're like 20 years old whether they're howling at the moon or doing all kinds of crazy things they're already bypassing right and it doesn't mean you have to bypass sex or rock and roll right let me make a clear claim for that <laughs> yeah sex and rock and roll are good drugs for some of us not good yeah and there's a better way but no, uh, my intention from the minute I got conscious and realized I wanted to serve was to make the consciousness movement, the spiritual movement, the former New Age movement, sexy, fun, and rock and roll. That is my intention. That's mm. what I know how to do. I want to make it as fun and sexy as rock and roll. All right, so you can go to podellagency.com for more information. Let me ask you about some of the people that you have on here. What about Paul Selig and his live stream series? What happens there? It was crazy. When we, Paul Selig is an author, professor at NYU, and most people feel one of the highest channels ever. We've all heard of Edgar Casey and, right. and others. He is an amazing channel, and he's channeling guides guides and these guides teach us how to leave lead a life of consciousness and lead a life free of fear and uh i will say this thank you for bringing up the live streaming last night so i met paul and uh paul's book had actually uh, i'll do a little quick back step uh the woman that I'm partners with now, Allie Storm, we're partners in this consciousness mission of the Padel Agency. A guy handed her a book. She was an unenlightened, unseeking person in the fashion business and handed her a book called I Am the Word in the Street. He said something told me I had to hand you this book. And she did. 
read it and had an overnight white light like you couldn't believe spontaneous spiritual awakening or they call it a kundalini awakening Mm -hmm. i met her and she had turned me on to the book and it, it changed my life the guy i'm sitting in the living room reading a book i know i'm reading i know i'm on my couch i know the plaster from the ceiling is falling i'm like you know i'm there i haven't lost contact and by the 20th page the guys are in the room with me uh teaching us how to get in touch with our divine self that we have. So the thing last night was great. So we started this live streaming a few months ago. The first time was like 60 people. Last night we had 600. So it's moving, 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 moving. Yeah. And uh, we have workshops in the city all the time. You can go on the website and see it. But he truly has changed both Ali and my life and all the people that are now following us. Yeah, I've been to one of them. They're very powerful experiences. I actually have the book and he signed it and I haven't read it yet. But I, Why now, haven't now you read have it yet? Because I have this collection. I have so much stuff that I want to internalize. But if, if something's going to open up the whole universe to you, Jeffrey. Yeah. Like, well, now that I, hear well, I can't get to it yet. Yeah. I'm going to a comedy show. Yeah. Now that I'm <laughs> <laughs> jumping around, I haven't yeah. had the time to really read it, but I will when I get home. So uh, I'm going to explain again with Johnny. This is a guy who, and, and I'm always, uh, to me, is one of the things I love to do is to, to see where things have always come from. But Johnny is one of the guys who shaped rock and roll for the people of my generation. The way that we viewed it, the way that we heard it, all came from people like himself and Bill Graham. And there was a handful of people who who took this art form and shaped it into the way we consumed it. And like I said, for me, that was a a life changer uh, and not only did Johnny end up getting high and getting a lot of other people high but getting a lot of other people sober uh, Aerosmith uh, you know when Steven Tyler I, was in here uh, a while back he's still carrying this you know light of a generation you know which seems so different than the rock and roll guy that i knew when i first saw when i was a kid you know but what he's carrying around um when you meet him when you're in the room with him you'd like to have some of that Uh, you know what i mean it's absolutely i brought um my partner ali Mm. is now my wife as well I don't know that that has any bearing on this. I just like to say the word wife. It's been 30 years since I said wife. I'm getting used to it. It's it's cool. And and she's very unimpressed or not that interested in the music business or my resume, which really pissed me (laughs) off. Really pissed me off. (laughs) Couldn't even impress her. So I took her. I took her only to three concerts, and one was last summer, Jones Beach. So we go backstage to see Steven. I mean, she gasped. She said, oh, my God, like that light. Mm-hmm. And then watching her, boom, she goes, Johnny, this is crazy. She said, I thought you were Benjamin Button. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> and you want to hear, I'll, yeah. can I tell you sure. a little? I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. I've never really been interviewed on the radio before, but I'll ask you yeah. something. So up until, and I hope Stephen doesn't mind. Stephen, if you're listening, whatever, <laughs> dude. Um, <laughs> I would, Stephen's birthday and my are a day apart, March 27th and 26th, and every year, and he has this fancy, like, concierge hold service, hi, we're going to look, what's your name, we're going to look for Mr. Tyler, <laughs> to which my reply is, oh, please, you know, anyway, instead of hold music, so he gets on, and I, every year it's the same, 
Peter Pan one to Peter Pan two. <laughs> Over. Dude, we did it again. No suit, no tie, no office, no wake-up call. Yaman! It worked until it didn't work. Yeah. It worked until it didn't work. I no longer make that call. And uh, so hopefully we both carry a strong light. I see his. Yeah. I hope people see mine. And uh, the thing we hated most, it ain't so bad growing up. Right, man. It ain't. I used to think growing up and throwing up were very synonymous. <laughs> and I got to tell you, you can keep the light. You can keep the sex and rock and roll and fun and this light that we're all seeking. I mean, I'll be honest. I sat with Allie in that audience, and I've known Stephen really way back, way, way back. And his light was so strong. And I, I saw it, too, mm. as a sober man. I sat there, and like in Yiddish, we go, I quelled. I said, <laughs> damn, you make sobriety look good. Yeah. Really, really good. What a great story. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I saw those guys in the 70s where a couple of times they fell apart on stage. I got busted at one of their shows. There was some, as great as that band was, there was some darkness they carried around. <laughs> but it, it does not... He's in a whole different yeah. thing right Beautiful now, man. Beautiful to watch. Yeah. Beautiful to watch. Um, and, Johnny, the thing that, uh, that that always is amazing to me is that when you see, and I mean, you kind of brought it up about getting older, but Joseph Campbell had written those stuff about the, you know, the times of life, the season of life, and when you move from warrior to medicine man and wise man. And I don't know why we stopped embracing those kind of stuff but it's exactly what you're talking about now you know it's yeah. the true wisdom of looking back over a lifetime and figuring out what to do with it and how to pass that on to other people yeah yeah ron first of all you're a very smart guy i always think of comedians is just funny like <laughs> dumb guys but yeah. they're very very wise <laughs> no offense jeff <laughs> and none, none taken <laughs> And you're wise, and your questions are so intelligent. Um, it's, there's so much, there's so much to learn. Yeah. From past, present, and future. You know, in Kabbalah they say, we live in two realities, the 1% reality of darkness, which is what we live in, and the 99% uh, percent of light. And there's so much on the other side. So getting back again to that question is, how do you make it sound good? I mean, on your best day here, and we've all had those moments, yeah. right? Whether it was sex, drugs, or rock and roll, right? Or an intellectual pursuit or a mm -hmm. trip. The light is really on the other side. The light comes on when you're conscious, there's so much, and I'm not trying to say I've experienced it all, I literally dip my feet in the water, but from a life of being high and knowing what I feel, I, I say it with a smile, because boy, it felt good, there were nights yeah. it felt great, mm. I have had nights it felt even better, because they were pure, pure, you know, pure, you felt, I felt, the God within me mm -hmm. which is in all of us funny too that we all mm -hmm. look outside yeah, yeah isn't yeah. that amazing we look for we other look things to god in the clouds mm -hmm. yeah. oh he's up there where santa claus is oh yeah up there <laughs> in the north pole and you know the the guides in in this series of books by paul selig they talk about it's really about welcoming 
the the they call it the Christ within it. It's nothing to do with Christianity. That's mm-hmm. the Jesus thing. The Christ, the energy of God. So Jewish people like me had to get accustomed to that language. That's what they refer to. Awaken the Christ within. You know, there's all of us. It, it saddens me the whole thing now with the Islamics and everybody. We're all brothers. And I, I don't want to spend too much time because no. it'll sound corny. But we are all, if in theory, 7 billion people had the same father, what did that make everybody? Right. Brothers. Well, you know. Not enemies. Before you came in here today, Neil deGrasse Tyson was here, who was going at this stuff from a different point of view, from the science point of view. But he would tell you we sh- we're sharing the same atoms. And the atoms in our body are from outer space. And, you know, as far out as you can go. Go, we're all made of the same stuff. Literally, the mm-hmm. same stuff. Yeah. That the atoms in our body have come from a far yeah. off start. If that doesn't blow your mind, yeah. if that doesn't want to open you up yeah. to go, hey, is it really about the 80 or 90 years tops that you're going to get on Earth? Mm. You know, what are you supposed to do with that time? Shoot each other? Run into a, a place and shoot people for making cartoons? Mm. Or what else? can you do with your life yeah um i don't know one of two things is going to change my dream and my goal and it's quite a goal right facebook apple how many people do they connect a billion a billion, yeah, a billion. Yeah. how many people yeah. are there in the world there's like six seven eight billion somebody. right so i had lunch with michael cole michael yeah. cole is now getting into this He's now taking Kabbalah and TM, an old friend of mine, and I'm telling him about this whole new mission of mine and setting it up worldwide. And But he's a businessman first. So I said, Michael, if you were still involved with you two of the Stones, what could be the most number of people you could imagine in a three-year tour? A billion, right? I said, my audience, potentially, is seven billion because we are all connected by our consciousness. We're just not all in touch with it. So my dream is to have a moment and connect seven billion people, seven billion for just a five minute or a two minute meditation, meaning when it's six o'clock in New York, whatever time that is in China, not like six each, whatever. Everybody in the same moment having a meditation, I'm not even saying about what. That feeling of connectedness I asked the scientists, you seem to be in touch mm. with scientists, asked them, I said, what would that do um, scientifically, energetically? Yeah, yeah, he said, probably be the biggest thing since the Big Bang. He said, definitely shift the Earth on sure. its axis. The consciousness has that much power. We just, it's mm-hmm. way more power than killing each other. Could you imagine in the history of the world, we've never attempted to all sing the same song at the, at same, the same time. time. How do we okay. know what would happen? Oh, Why by the way, yeah. by the way, do yeah. you want to know the visual I have for this campaign? Yeah. Ready? You yeah. guys will appreciate it. Coca-Cola commercial. I'd like to oh, buy so yeah. the world a Coke. No. Four people on camera. <laughs> yeah. Peep and Eight people on camera. Yeah. Right? More on the hill. More. Da, 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 da. And I picture that when I am working toward this. Seven billion people in the same place doing just what you said. Yeah. Just to quote John Lennon, imagine. Right. Just imagine. You know, that was my dream as a kid. 
always thought about that. But it does. If 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 you go back to you know, we're taking it back to rock rock and roll with John Lennon. He was searching through rock and roll, and it ended up at the end of his life in a very spiritual place. Yoko, when she comes in here, is really amazing. And so did George. Come on, George, and I yeah. represented George, but I was so unconscious, I didn't even realize he was so conscious. <laughs> I had no clue until about three years ago. I'm listening to these songs, and I'm saying, "Oh my God." Oh my God! Living, <laughs> yeah. you know, he knew earlier than most sure. certainly civilians. I'm not talking about you know yeah. guys meditating on mountains. He knew that we were spiritual beings living in a physical body, trapped in this material world. He knew, and he knew about the consciousness of the indigenous people preparing for that moment mm-hmm. when we cross. And you believe um, you believe he can pull this off. You believe that you can get everybody together someday. At the risk of sounding either insane, obnoxious, or just very full of myself, I know it. Uh, Here's what I want you to do, folks. Check out uh, PadelAgency.com. You heard what Johnny's laying out today. And I will tell you again, for people of my generation, he helped shape the way we watched listened to and felt about rock and roll so um even if you were not thinking of it from a spiritual point of view from a marketing point of view <laughs> this is the kind of guy that you listen to this is the kind of guy that people in in big corporations would say johnny how do we get asses in the seat how do we get people to pick up product uh the the most famous people on the planet no, Johnny, I've partied with him, have had gotten along. He's gotten some of them sober, and some of those people have helped get him sober. So his story is a phenomenal one. For Johnny to say that this is where he's going now is very, very interesting. And I'm going to be keeping an eye on everything that you're doing, dude. Thank you so much for stopping in here today. Thank you very much. Thank and you. Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll see you next time. Wow, this was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Really, really. This was so fun for me. Thank hey, you It was fun much. for me, too, man. And, you know, I got to just tell you, even before we go, I just love it when somebody puts it out there. You know what I mean? I know always eight out of ten people are going, what the what the hell are those guys talking about? But I love somebody's got to put it out there. And I love that you're doing it, and I love that I can remind people that you've been right before. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I'll see you next time. Okay. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama, papa coming for you. I'm a space invader. I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. Keep your mouth shut.
You know what you've been doing? You've been listening to the Ron and Fez show. It's now over, but don't worry. You can listen again and again on Sirius XM On Demand. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand. Listen to Ron and Fez whenever you want. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand. This show was brought to you by Afro and Friends.